I am the face you would not own, though you carve your place hidden in the crowd. Mine are the features you never saw, as you stack your thin days in the tick of tonight's straw. My legion is the unexpected, a forest turned to masts, grass blades to swords. And this is the face you would not own, a brother with bad news hiding in the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Legendary Green Team's Molassen series, and the fourth Dust of Dreams episode, and last episode. Uh, my pseudonym is Heron Fan, and I'm joined today by Panda. Hello. Ashaman. Hey. And Jeneth. Yay. Yeah. Ooh. You're here. <laughs> He's returned, the prodigal son. <laughs> my employers tried to change that on me, and I was so mad. <laughs> And I thought they were being huge jerks because at first I thought they were just repeating their text saying I had to stay late <laughs> on purpose in response to all queries and, and rebuttals, but it was just their phone like triple sending text messages. Oh my god. I was just like, oh, how dare you? What a power move if it was true though. <laughs> oh yeah, it's America, so it was believable. Yeah. Well, we're very glad you're here. Hopefully your job is okay. <laughs> uh, before we start, do you guys want to share anything? Probably. Okay, I'll your, start. Baby, I, I've lo- your baby is so cute. That's what nice. I have to say. I think he is too. Adorable. He's getting cuter. Yeah. Last time we recorded, I said I lost four kilos. Now I'm at six. So. Whoa, congrats. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm going on a beach vacation. This Ooh. sounds amazing. Yes. Does, yeah. I might get to see baby sea turtles. Ooh. I've never and seen you're bringing board games, which is more important than sea turtles, of course. <laughs> what? Nerd. Sea turtles are temporary. <laughs> uh, board games are also what? temporary. No, I don't believe you. Board games are eternal. I'm, uh, I'm also watching Miyazaki's new movie tonight, which I'm very, very excited about. Nice. Uh, I am also excited for that, but it's probably going to be in Canada in like, what, six months? Something like that. Maybe years. Yeah. I am reading Forge of the High Mage, and it is really good. Nice. I agree. Yeah. It might be my second favorite of uh, Esselon stuff. So, like, when we were reading Deadhouse Gates, and we kept talking about how much we wanted to read about the early days of Calvin Vett's reign, like, actually read a book about it instead of reading people talking about how yeah. it used to be, that's the book. And I thought that they would never write that book. Like, I thought that they would just talk all the way around it, like before and after, and and never write a book about that period of time. But we finally have one. I want more, but I'm not even done with the one I'm I'm on. So I'm we're we're good. Yeah. It has relatively little dancer and calendar too. It does. Oh, it does. I did notice that. But but I'm still. I'm, what I'm getting is. Oh, it's not a complaint. Is, I mean, we had plenty of them. Yeah. Book one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Wait. So. Can I read this new book, like, without reading the previous three in Path to Ascendancy? Yeah, probably. Well, probably, but you'd there, have there's a, lot a few more... threads. Okay. Yeah. You'd have a lot more context the reading the first three. Yes. Okay. But but, but you could just you could do the book it, the fall and you could read it, yeah. Got and it. none of the stuff from the first three books is on Wiki, so you couldn't even, like, use Wiki to, like, cheat your way through the, <laughs> the context because it's not there. Really? Nobody's put it on there? 
Yeah, the wiki like stops at like Forge of Darkness. There's nothing from Fall of Light. There's nothing from the. There's it's like just, very it's little just slow from going. the first three PTA, and yeah. it takes a lot of work to do the wiki. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Fair, fair. I should actually contribute. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, if I had the time. Yeah, just add some misinformation in there, confuse the fans. <laughs> Kellen Ved is actually dancer. Oh my! They're one person. <laughs> they Elden are Ring all style. good. That's the joke. And different aspects of the <laughs> crippled god. All the all the gods are just hood. Yeah, he's just he's just very good. It's laid of hand. He's very good at role playing. That's mm. oh, what, was your theory about Ruth and Good that was that he hood? Was that your joke? Yes. About? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you already know who it is. I know. Well, okay, I'll explain myself later. When we, get, when we get there, got it. Okay. But um, my thing to share is I am gonna go see Six, the musical, because it's coming through Seattle this weekend, and I'm very excited. I hope it doesn't let me down. Excellent. But, what What is that one even? What's the premise? It's about the heard of it. wives of Henry the Eighth. Oh, oh a historical yeah. play. That yeah. sounds excellent. But it's a musical, uh-huh. so mm. you know I'm gonna like it. I hope she, one of them sings with their head off. Um, I I don't know how they're gonna the do it, but yeah, I I will let you know once I've seen the whole thing. Excellent. Does it have a splatter area in the first two rows or something? <laughs> Splash zone. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh my god! But I don't think so. There was no warning or anything. <laughs> yeah, both for the the head chopping off scenes and the Henry just gorging himself on turkey leg or something. I don't actually know if he even is in the play. Like, obviously, he's referenced, but I think it might be an all-female oh. cast. So, but I'll let you That's know once I see it. Choice. That is an interesting choice. I just became much more interested in the musical. Yeah. <laughs> you should look it up. Uh, I've been enjoying my new hobby of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's great. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, Feeling resentful that House of the Dragon, uh, uh, Patty Considin, Considin, I don't know how to pronounce his name or what it even name his name is, uh, the actor from House of the Dragon. Uh, I was feeling bitter that he didn't get any Emmy nominations, so I looked at what is getting the Emmy nominations: Succession, and uh, turns out it's an excellent show. It definitely deserves that. I've heard nothing but good things. <laughs> it's yeah, it's quite good. Should we start? Let's yeah. do it. All right. We're covering chapters 19 to 24. Um, spoiler warning, of course. And uh, there's a lot of violence, so I ain't real bit talking about that. <laughs> Hit it, Ash. Chapter 19. The Elder Gods discuss the ramifications of Draconis returning. Bedell defends the Ribby Snake and their new city from the Quitters. Tool meets with the leaders they amass on, the con- on this continent. The Bone Hunter sends coming doom and send out riders to ask for aid. And Ublala Pung makes a new friend. He just can't help it. Everyone loves Ablala. What was uh-huh. your favorite part of this chapter? Oh, this was actually a pretty good chapter, I think. There was Kilimandros's, um temper tantrum <laughs> moment. Yeah, she, she's got punchy problems, anger problems. Uh-huh. Um, that was funny. Um, I did really enjoy Ublala Pong making a new friend. I love the last words of the chapter. Everybody needs a friend. Yeah. Uh, I think the correct answer is uh, Badal's section, right? That was uh, really cool. That was my favorite. 
That was uh, unexpected for me. The power of words. Is it clear to you yet, Panda, who the quitters are? Um, they are four cruel assailed okay. people. Yeah. It's hard to keep track of like what I know because I just read it and what I know because I know it. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, I, have so, a, yeah. I have a confession. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know how in the previous episodes I said like, yeah, this Ruby Snake thing. <laughs> I just like don't care. I finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to look it up. I'm just going to look up the Ruby Snake on the Malazan Wiki. And it had a very succinct summary of what it is and why I should care about it. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Did you get spoilers from the next book? No, I stopped. Um, I only read... Um, the Wiki is actually pretty good about that. The, the Cripple God section. So, uh, well, okay. so what, what, what was the revelation that made you like them or care about them? So I finally understood. And that this is why I was like, okay, the four crew sale are the ones that are coming after these children. And these children, like, they, they're innocent, right? And this four crew, the four crew sale are trying to, you know, exact justice on them, even though they did nothing wrong. And these are just children who have found each other and are running for their lives. And then, you know, they end up in um, Ikarium's city um, for a little while. And that context, just like, because, I mean, I told you guys, I was like glossing over those (laughs) sections (laughs) in the book. Because there was so much like, like internal thinking and reflection mm-hmm. and blah 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 right um worms and cannibalism yeah and then so going into this chapter i was like okay i have a better understanding and i do care and there was also really cool stuff that happened um so i appreciate them now excellent how do you hear it i've never read like a magical poetry battle and it was everything <laughs> that i never knew that i wanted yeah. It was so cool. I just love the language and I don't know. The, yeah, the power of language. It's cool. Yeah. It's kind of a metaphor for the book too, which I, I think the Ruby Snake is uh, very meta, <laughs> as I've said think, in previous episodes. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of what Badal does is just like, just, she's the author character inserted into the story in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. But a child oh, and um, eating other children. <clears throat> I gotta say that the first time I read the Ruby Snake stuff, I'd was really exhausted of like new stuff being added to the series yes. like this part in and i yes. just like was like why <laughs> and i couldn't yes. care less about it and i think that this was the point the first time through that i started caring and going back through especially with all the breaks we've had so i've you know, not been just reading Malazan only for years and years at this point. <laughs> like going back through, it was much more enjoyable all the way through. And then I got to this part and I was like, yep, this part's still awesome. And yeah, so so I didn't I didn't really like it the first time through either. And but I think part of that is just how stretched the read yes. was for us. Like oh that yes, would that not too. if I had been going through the first time, it might not have been as bad. But even still, book nine. You're adding yet another new thing like this, and it's like it's a, a lot sure to handle. Big, yeah, yeah, completely agree. But now um, I'm on board. So yep, me too. So listeners, don't hate me. 
Back to Kill Mandy and the other Elder Gods. I love their yeah. uh, conversation with Mail. Uh-huh. And one thing I really liked was that, like, he said, uh, Erastus hasn't been the master of the holds for a long time, and everybody just pretended like he was when he signed everybody, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because Erastus sucks. And then he's talking about the, um, uh, what, subtlety. Yeah. And he listed three people who could, who are the most subtle, one being Tehol, one being Immortal, who is dead, and then the other being Draconis, and they, they talked about how subtle Draconis was, and like, well, if someone's actually that subtle, would you actually ever notice? Uh, but it was an interesting thought, and I wondered if Draconis actually was setting everything up to work out like it did. And then finally, who was the second guy he was talking about? The guy that's dead? Yeah, he said the three people that are like the most subtly knows, Tehol, because he said my best friend, he said Draconis, and there was another mortal who was dead. The other wasn't mortal, but is now but dead. But is now dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. an immortal is dead. Hood, then? It might be Hood. It's got to be Hood. Hood's pretty subtle. Yeah, I think that's got that's a clear Hood reference, and I'm pretty sure I thought that at the time when he said another I think you're right now, yeah. yeah. Either that or Rake. I mean... I wouldn't I'll, call Rake I'll, subtle. <laughs> I wouldn't call Rake subtle. I, I would call... You know who I would call subtle? Shadow Throne. <laughs> yeah, but he's not dead. He is not dead, you're right. Yeah. And I guess Mel doesn't know him personally either. I just, uh, I still have a really hard time with this, like, multiple personality of male, you know? Because, like, you, we've got Bug, and this male in this, this scene with Kilimandros is very similar to the Bug personality. Um, but then later on, there's, you know, the the more, like, raging sea kind of personality. And it's just so hard for me to like wrap my head around it because bug is just so lovable yeah know? that part is like completely imposed on him by his followers uh it, basically you can blame malik Rell, like almost I, yeah almost single-handedly at this point like i, I would get recommend that. forge of the high mage for <laughs> yeah and if you want to see the cult that produces malik Rell, forge the high mage okay fine i, I was about to make that <laughs> reference before here and did but uh but yeah, yeah uh return of the that. crimson guard kind of return in return of the crimson guard there's a more direct confrontation between rel and male and okay. it go it it like goes into like how male is like so pissed off that malik mm-hmm. makes him got be, it okay be that way basically all right i will get that puzzle piece eventually <laughs> but also as the the god of the seas you know, I know, you know, oceans are pretty, oceans are pretty horrifying sometimes. <laughs> so, yes, I, I think this aspect of him would always exist. I don't th- I don't think it would be able to not exist for him to still be what he is. Um, but Malakarel definitely does bring out the worst in him. Yeah. That's something with all the Elder Gods, though, right? Um, mm-hmm. They it's hard for them to deny their aspect. Like Kilmandros, she has an anger problem, but like she kind of just represents that chaos and wanting to destroy order. And yep. I mean, she she has her place and it's important. <laughs> and she might not be enjoyable to be around. <laughs> we wouldn't really call her good, but how do you mm-hmm. call something like that good or bad, right? I know yeah. it's hard to complex. Like uh, Memories of Ice says, uh, Elder Gods are host to... Uh, are host to... A series of unpleasant necessities, something like that. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think that's it, but I I remember what you're talking. About. Yeah, it it's close. Close. Um, 
yeah, Cruel is fed by blood sacrifices. Uh, Draconis is uh, hard, man. It's like, <laughs> uh, they're not I know Loretta is like a demonic mother creature. Yeah. That's the thing, is like, they're more, their real nature is more like they're on the surface, whereas like Bug is just so opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's hard for me. But yeah, I get it. it. They're but that's character. been there all along. Like, there's scenes in Reaper's Gale where he, like, is getting pissed off and he's like, yeah. oh, this guy's abusing his authority. This is a great way to channel all that, you know, all that anger and yeah. stuff and, like, make him just disappear. And in mm-hmm. Midnight Tides, it ends with him. This is another reason I think I like Midnight Tides more in the reread. I didn't understand why he went and beat the crap out of the crippled god at the end of Midnight Tides the first time. And now, even though I haven't reread it, just from discussions with you guys and reading the other books, I realize that that's from his worshippers, like making him more vengeful, and and mm-hmm. and like so. There is, it's been there all along, like from the first moment that you meet him, that like conflicting. I just have mm-hmm. more page time with him as Bug, like that personality. We have a better picture of him. Yeah, yeah. both as good and bad. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is the the male person. The, the the cruel male persona is like the one that's been around for much longer. The bug thing yes. is since he knows Tayhole, I think. Yeah. Basically. Maybe he just really enjoys role playing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> is this the uh chapter uh where where somebody tries to give him crap about like letting his daughters one run wild or whatever and he's like he just shrugs it off and he's like, as daughters are want to do or something like that and Oh maybe. I, I, I really remember. liked the way he, that. like, didn't rise to the bait at all on that. And was just like, yeah, well, what daughters aren't going to do that? The relationship of the Elder Gods to their children is super weird. I agree. Yeah. Like, it almost feels like it could just be incestuous. It probably. Yeah. Is. Yeah, a lot of it is, definitely. Um, I did like um, Kilimandro. She... So they were talking about, like, Rake being dead and... You know, the previous episode, Janice, you weren't there, but I was like, I don't believe Rake is dead. We're going <laughs> to see him again. But now I'm like, OK, fine. He's dead. I get it. <laughs> um, but something that she said, uh, I think, categorized Rake really well. Um, it was let me find it real quick. She said, we clashed, yes, but even me. No, I would not have murdered Anamander Rake if the possibility was presented to me. I would not. His existence had purpose. He was one you could rely upon when justice needed a blade's certain edge. The world has lost some of its color, I think. I was like, fine. I accept that Rake (laughs) is gone. He's dead. But what's really cool is that they go on to talk about, you know, he is dead, but in his death, like, he set other things in motion. Mm-hmm. And it was very purposeful. And as she said, his existence had purpose. He was very intentional. So, And speaking uh, of those events, um, Hood, no longer being Hood, meant that Brisk kind of became more of his past self in this chapter. And I found that delightful. Yep. <laughs> He's setting up matchmakers, and he notices, oh, wow, how how have I been so blind? This girl's in love with me. She's so into me. <laughs> I love their relationship. I think There's a love story I can get behind in the series. The way that she, like, fainted the first time she met him. 
like her internal monologue every time they talk she's like i'm just here because i've been following you <laughs> yep i love i love them you together gorgeous yeah. speaking of um speaking of the atresita though uh one of my favorite moments with her is when she like scared the crap out of the uh two molasses mages because she like takes the candle and lights her cigarette oh yeah yeah it. yeah and she and, broke the protection circle yeah and draconis like sees it Didn't. as soon as it happens and she just like i needed the flame and they think she did it on purpose. Like, it's just, like, so, such a good moment. It's a very, like, I don't know, like, kind of like a coming-of-age moment for her in a way. Like, she's, like, one of the boys for the first time. And, and like, in on their, like, dirty, weird, like, subterfuge crap where they're all, like, you know, trying to play poker with the Elder Gods. And, like, they think they're losing. I don't know. Like, it's it was, like, a, a really cool moment that, like... If she had known what she was doing, she probably wouldn't have done it. But right. because she did and she played it off so well, I don't know. Was, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I like all the I like all fun. the stuff with the Malazans in the in these sections for sure. Like the Malazan military stuff and the mages and stuff. It's great. Mm-hmm. Poor Cork, yeah. though, right? Sorry, I said poor Cork, though, right? He's been depressed and he would not be allowed on the Fast and Furious family tree because he denies the band of brothers. Yes. He's like, it's all it's all garbage. And even Smiles is like, man, Korg, you've changed. Yeah. It's like, changed, man. family means nothing to me. Oh, it edgy. I did really like that spiel about family and what that represented. I, yes. Which one, Korg's or the one later with Kissware and Center? Uh, I think it's Kissware and Center. Yeah, me too. I like that one a lot. Something that I've been thinking about more um, when reading the military sections with the Malazan soldiers is um, the, um, uh, so Slavo Zizek is this like uh, Czechoslovakian or Slovenian, yeah, Slovenian philosopher, that's it. Uh, And he has these movies where he reviews movies uh, from his philosophical standpoint. Okay. And they're all called like The Pervert's Guide to whatever. And I watched Pervert's Guide to Ideology, and he talks about Full Metal Jacket. You guys seen Full Metal Jacket? I have, but go ahead. Yeah, it's a Stanley Kubrick film, classic American cinema about military stuff. And he talks about, okay, minor spoilers for the beginning of Full Metal Jacket. Sorry, but there's a character in Full Metal Jacket who is very earnest, and um, he... Um, takes the whole military ideology like super seriously and takes it to heart and it's like his whole being. And Slavo talks about how like the film shows that the soldiers who like make it through basic and make it through boot camp and actually like do well in war and form those family bonds with each other in the film are the ones that are most ironically detached from the official propaganda and the official Mm. mission of the military and the guy who kills himself, he precisely does not survive because he lacks that ironic detachment. Uh, Like one of the main guys that makes it to the end has like a peace sign on his helmet in the middle of the Vietnam war, for example. And I think about that a lot in Malazan to think about like, does Erickson show that aspect of military ideology? Well, and I think he kind of does like the a lot of the soldiers who 
who seem to do the, to do the best are the ones with that sense of ironic detachment, uh, even if it's like kind of a smokescreen for them being a little more serious than they yeah. at least have like the like projection of the ironic detachment. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I've been like, it's been in my mind as I've read these scenes this last time around. No, I think, I think I agree because uh, a lot of the soldiers internal or even conversations between each other, it's more, it's not really worrying too much about orders from on high. It's like I said, the band of brothers and family, it's fighting for the person beside you. So like these larger ideas aren't nearly as important Although later, Briss, uh, even I think in this chapter, he's talking about like what it's like to be a soldier who doesn't have, who's fighting in an unjust war. And those were also really interesting because that, that can equally kill you, even if you think that you're, you know, fighting for the person beside you and you might still be. But I don't know, I, there are a lot of thoughts there. Yeah, I actually really picked out that theme um, in specifically book four of Dust of Dreams, where in this this section, there was a lot of emphasis on the responsibilities of leadership versus the soldiers, where it's like a lot of soldiers are, I'm following orders, or this is what I've been trained to do, this is my purpose, right? And they're the people who are making those decisions of what you're doing is right or wrong is coming from up high. And it's it's not in this chapter, it's in later chapter where Briss has that internal monologue thinking about soldiers in an unjust war. Um, and I really appreciated that because it really does show like there is more thought being put into, um, I guess, these actions that they're taking um, from the leader perspective. And we don't get that from Tavor, so we have to get that from somewhere else. You know, and yeah, and um, you don't get um, you get that from the characters who are uh, either like Bryce, who has only recently come into that military position. He was like a bodyguard in the in the fifth book. He wasn't like he hasn't been like a grunt soldier that worked his way up into command, right? So you get it from him. The more serious thoughts like that. And you get it from characters like Kisswear, who are burning out and falling out, and like it, it's not working for them. So it's a, it it kind of maintains that that thing where, like the ones that are like, you know, sticking through multiple campaigns and and staying with it as like a career and and not falling out are the are the ones that are a little more detached and like yeah aren't, aren't worried about that kind of stuff. But you still get it addressed. By having it addressed through these characters who are either, you know, new and came in like kind of he was like appointed, right? Yeah. Like, by his brother. So he's not right. really like a soldier in the same way. Like he was like a captain of the King's Guard or something. Yeah. Like yeah. The first, like the first sword of the uh, the Empire, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not to say I that there's of. not some militaristic aspects of that, but that's like a totally different like job yeah, i mean like i didn't mean first sword in the military sense like literally just the like someone's a first violin he he was considered <laughs> the finest swordsman in the empire yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he's a swordsman he's not a soldier mm-hmm. i mean he is now because he got pointed to the top of the military essentially but he's not, he didn't like he wasn't a career since you, soldier since you brought up briss i know it's slightly off topic but how uh satisfying was him talking to a formal noble talking about uh, uh 
Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. Ending like, the blue uh, rose per, per, Yes, exactly. Yeah. Promoting the the blue rose and ending discrimination. That was yes. Great. <laughs> so that was satisfying, but also like threatening to go like all a scene on the nobility's asses if <laughs> yeah. like they caused too much trouble. Was, and he uh, seemed to do it just to play matchmaker too. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, what Lazine was trying to do the entire time. And now. Maybe. Yeah. No. I, that's I why she's like so sad more. and so cold. It's just it's not working. <laughs> um, no. I, I would say that people anything... are screwing each other. Why are my plans not working? Um, I would say, if anything, these books portray ironic detachment as a luxury of grunts because everybody in responsibility in here and in, in these in these chapters is getting crushed under and is like, this is so hard. I have to be so serious all the time. I have the responsibility of everyone on my shoulders. Um, and I have to do right by them. You know, they, they all care about the people that are under the command. They, they're they all trying their best. And Except for one. Listing? Yeah. Listing. Um, yeah. yeah. Who, yeah, who is trying to actually be ironically detached and he's saying, oh, I, I have camaraderie with my soldiers now. Oh my and goodness. It turns out no one respects them at all. Um, I a think luxury one... of grunts or a burden of grunts? Uh, I would say a luxury because they don't have to take it. They can just focus on like putting their feet in front of, front of one foot in front of the other and worry about like having other people actually make the decisions for better or for worse. Right. Um, yes, and, and they get to is, complain about they it. They complain all the time. They get to complain all the time. They can play little games with each other. That <laughs> Tavor doesn't get to play games. Uh, Tool doesn't get to play games. Yeah, but it's Bryce a luxury that I think the books also show that it's like a luxury that they are that's being paid for by the fact that they're the ones like bleeding and dying and oh for sure them, like, on the front, yeah you know? for yeah. sure absolutely. yeah absolutely and I, I um do you think though so okay I I swear I'll get off this thing in a second but since you brought it back uh do you think so Zizek claims that it's like a necessary survival tool mm. of the grunt. Not a luxury, but something they need to to do to have to do well as a grunt. Do you think the books show that or not so much? Do you see what I'm saying? So, oh, man, I I, I don't know enough actual soldiers to uh, to have a strong opinion <laughs> here. Like, obviously, there are soldiers that are serious and soldiers that are rev reverent and a lot of soldiers that mix the two um, as needed, essentially. Um, I think a good example of what I'm talking about is Sinter, because Sinter is taking herself very seriously, and Kissware is not taking things very seriously, right? She's She just kind of goes where the wind blows her and doesn't like having responsibility for anything. But Sinter, like, went into this knowing, okay, my sister, I'm, I'm taking care of my sister. This is what I'm doing. Uh, she has, like, a very clear, very limited goal. She's not thinking that she's doing anything glorious here. She's just keeping her sister alive. Mm -hmm. And she's doing great. Well, great. Like it, the burden of responsibility is crushing her, like it's crushing everyone else. But she is functional and she's respected by her people. Um, I think so. Part... I think oh, sorry, uh, one, one more point. I think that the ironic detachment is not just a, a a way to keep functioning. It's a way to cope with the fact that okay, they don't have to make any decisions. They also don't get power over their own destiny <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Um, because they're the ones being like they get told where to march, they get told what to do, the, the tactics, and then sometimes just an army comes out of nowhere and kills them all, and they don't know why. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes you have to be like that, for sure. But there's the the whole thing, I mean, it's a joke, but 
I think there's some truth in in terms of like what we're talking about with the detachment is they don't want to be promoted because mm-hmm. when you get promoted right now you have to make those kinds of decisions for sure and they're like actually no I I don't want it I don't want that responsibility and and I and I like that they showed um through Keneb uh, I believe it was that when you're coming up you complain about you know the commanders giving you these like uh cookie cutter responses that don't mean anything that you know <laughs> like just do the best you can kind of stuff right, right, right. And, and then Kenneth's like and now I'm the one doing I'm exactly. the one saying it and it's because I have no real control and both over sides this know thing what's either. going on yep. yep um yeah so the one of the so interestingly when I watched the film, I did not take that point about Full Metal Jacket. Like it went right in one ear and out the other. It was on a drive back up from Florida. We went to my friend's funeral, my best friend and I. And we had both been in two uh, political organizations together, two different ones. And he was saying that the reason why the people in the first organization were more successful at being at staying in the organization for the long haul is because they had the ironic detachment and that the reason why everybody in the second organization was insane is because everybody was earnest and nobody had any ironic detachment so they all went insane when uh when like things weren't coming to fruition essentially and it mm-hmm. and he made the reference to the full metal jacket thing and i was like oh yeah that is in that movie and 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 so it made me like kind of started yeah. thinking about it when I was looking at this and and I was like and and I said to him well well I was super earnest and he's like yeah and you dropped out of that organization and I was like damn it <laughs> he's like you burnt out that's Proof. exactly what uh so for an area that I do actually have experience in um people who are disabled a lot of the ones that function the best are the ones that can joke about it and if the ones that take it very seriously, a lot of the times they're, they're they struggle a lot a lot harder with the realities of the situation, and and coping with you know being it's able like to do def- things that you were able it's to like do a shield before. or a defense mechanism, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, uh, the there is the very famous phenomenon where people who are heavily depressed are uh, often quite funny. Uh, mm, a lot of comedians, right? Yeah, like Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah. So, bring it back to Malazan. Like, if Erastus was less serious and he was able to laugh at himself, I think he would be more successful. Mm-hmm. But I think he's ultimately... I think you're right. Essential <laughs> <laughs> laugh seems to be handling things a lot better and he's a lot more self-deprecating and, yeah. and you know, finds the whole thing ridiculous. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Steve actually makes this point in Reaper's Gale with um, the Patriotists. Right, none of them can laugh at themselves. They're they're all taking their jobs very seriously, and right. and yeah. this is almost how Tehill beats beats them. You know, right. he, he drives the what's his face insane. Um, One of the best um, scenes in the series. Mm-hmm. In this chapter, there was also some quickbin uh, action here, um, where he gives basically like a summary of what happened at the end of um, Toll the Hounds. <laughs> <laughs> which i was like oh thank you because i i could use this refresher um and i guess like that this is where we were talking about the whole uh candle scene i think um him bottle 
we're chatting and it's just like Draconis wants to have a conversation with Quickman apparently and Quickman's like no I do not want to talk to you get out of here that ain't gonna happen but by breaking the circle they could have but he, he didn't just... Draconis didn't right he's got manners I think a good 80% of Quick Ben's life is just avoiding talking to people he knows are dangerous. <laughs> I think you're right. And also, confession later. but also there's like a, ma- a manic paranoid aspect to it where he thinks every single ascendant or powerful army or figure anywhere in the general like continent vicinity of where he is or where he's going is there to mess up him or his army like it's so he's like oh it's all one big game oh the dominoes they're all stacking up and and like i don't think draconis cares a whit for most of what's going on with the bone hunters except maybe like whatever their final goal is like on the other end of the thing but i I think he just like got out of dragnapore and like everybody's like Freaking she out. just wants to catch up, you yeah. know, with the latest. Um, but I do think that aspect of Quick Ben is how he's been able to survive mm-hmm. for so long. Um, and he also has like what twelve different voices, thirteen different voices in his head. So you're gonna get paranoid at that point. Yeah, right. like if, if if people knew about Quick Ben. Especially if Ascendants knew, but Quickman's like, oh, this is this is thirteen different mages, uh-huh. and if they know which of those mages those are, <laughs> that would be that would be horrible for him. He would be hunted down and skinned or something, you know, because this is a being that's clearly too dangerous and intelligent to live, and has and knows way too much. Yeah, he does. But know for all, but for all that, for all he tries to like game around and like hide and be subtle and. And, you know, kind of cast things elsewhere. What happens at the end of the book is, you know, he's completely blindsided by it. Yes, it's a completely random event. Like those, they were just in the way of, mm-hmm. of, this, of yeah. this group. And it had nothing to do with them. There was no big conspiracy. It was just, you know, that wrong you place, know wrong of, time. Well, that I know uh, of at this time. Right. I mean... Yeah, I don't think so, though. But, uh, <laughs> like, I think that's part of the point. It's just like, yeah. you know, for all that these big strategic thinkers think they have the whole thing planned out, here comes the Kachin Naruk out of left field. Well, they actually, you're... I mean, leading up to that whole sequence, right, there was um, the talk of, like, convergence and accidents and accidental deaths and all that. So I think we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, but in this chapter, in that scene with Bottle and Quickbin, um, Bottle is basically saying like, hey, we we need to go talk to Tavor because we're being set up. And Quickbin's like, she's already made up her mind. She thinks she can cheat them. And I'm like, what? And this is like insight, a bit more insight into like what's going on with Tavor. But I'm like, I have to take, well, according to Quickbin, I have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Um, lots of salt. Um, but also, like, he says, did you know she was the preeminent scholar of the lives of Kelamed, <laughs> Dancer, and Dasim? And I was like, oh, yeah, she was very much into studying the military strategy and the, all the conquests and stuff. So I think this is an important piece of information to keep in mind for the rest of the series, which, you know, we got one book left. 
So I'm I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how this all is going to play out with her. This chapter, a very important part came. At least uh, we get Masan Jelani's idea of what the end game is, and their conversation with Sinter and Kisware. Uh, yes. Can you remind me? <laughs> Masan Jelani has been talking with other people, and they believe the uh, goal is to not kill the free the crippled. Oh, god right, to free. free the crippled god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it tied into what we were talking about a few minutes ago with uh, removing some of the burden that divorce putting herself on and them trusting her and kind of taking that burden on themselves and saying, hey, it's okay. We, we're we okay with this. We, we support you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh and then... Oh, go ahead. Uh, quick note about Tavor. Um, the, the Kenneb scene where he's like, oh, I... They, the, these empty platitudes that I'm giving my soldiers is I sound like such a jackass. This is why this is one of the reasons why Tavor is so uncommunicative with her soldiers. Because a lot of what she'd be saying is just this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's just like, I'm just not gonna say it. My they're they're adults, you know. We we don't I need guess. to we don't need to have this dumb ritual. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um so it interestingly, there is a bit of confirmation later in the book of either that or there's a big setup being taking place and it's the with the broken later because the unbound uh the unbound yeah yeah yeah. the unbound they're like oh yeah we know who you are we're gonna go we're gonna go back with you so either masangalani's right or she's wrong and they're like Mm, setting her up to like mess mess with the bone hunters essentially like because sure. they said they were like yeah we're, we were we know we're, we know we're gonna go follow you back so yeah it'd be a major betrayal right i could well because they are the unbound mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they've done mm-hmm. some pretty uh crappy things pretty nasty stuff over many the generations of child slaughter that's why i was so surprised <laughs> when that scene happened i was like mm, i don't know Right. And she was like, oh, I thought there would be more of you, which made me wonder, like, who did she think she was going to meet? Like, did she think she was going to go meet up with, like, Tool and the I'm asked that the that Olar oh, like Tool had? Hawks? I think so. Um, no, well, I was thinking the other big Talani Mass army mm-hmm. that's like on the continent right now. Like, did she think that's where she was going? Um, Maybe. So, yeah, I don't know. We get. Uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say um, Stormy has some dreams and is telling Gessler about them. And now that I have finished this book, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I understand what your dreams are about now. But when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I think this is foreshadowing and this is going to be important, but I have no idea what it means. Yeah. I used to have a cat named Stormy. Um, we get some hints about Ruth Good's identity. And that he was friends with Draconis, mm-hmm. and they spoke of Kalor's empire. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that, but um, just for our listeners. And, and, and he said that next time he's get, he sees Draconis, one of them is going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but he served under Greymane, he said at one point. I don't, right. I don't know. It was earlier yeah, in the been, book, maybe. He's mentioned that several times. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like just been... He's some elder god or ascendant or ancient, and he's just been serving with. See, this is why I was like, "Oh, is this guy Hood?" And then there was later on other things. I was like, 
this is hood. It's gotta well, be hood. And like, it kind of like, it would make sense that he would be like a Storm Rider maybe, except he re- refers to the Storm Rider stuff as this Storm Rider crap better work, which implies right. that he's not one. He's just like using their stuff. Right. Which is so, why I was like, oh, this is hood in disguise. No, it's not hood. Hood's a jag hut. Disguise is Hood even well, pops up at the end of the book. He, like, Ruth and Good looks like a human. I don't yeah. think he's a human. <laughs> I don't think he's human. Right, either. but he passes for a human. Yeah, because yeah. he's powerful. I, I don't think Hood could pass for a human. Um... A bunch of flies could assemble into something that looks like a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens in Death House Gates, actually. Yeah, yeah. I would like to say that I enjoyed Sunrise's POV. And uh, I like what Erickson do with characterization in just a few paragraphs. I love Sunrise and I like his arc and him getting inspired by the old stories of the bridge burners. There's a soldier without any ironic detachment. (laughs) And he died. (laughs) Yeah. Or Sunrise. Well, we'll get to that. Um, Oh, I'm looking at my notes, and literally the scene with uh, Kisware and Center talking about the whole family. Kisware says, I'm no coward. I'm just not one for this whole family thing. Armies ain't families, no matter how many times you try to tell me different. It's rubbish. It's the lie commanders and kings need, so they always got us ready to do shit for them. And in my notes, I just said, you need a lesson from Dom. That's it. Oh, my God. Well, Masan puts in her puts in her or corrects her yes. assumptions, I think. Yeah, she I, says, I I'm saying some people run things and the rest should just stay out of it. That's all. Just like in a family, somebody's in charge, not everybody. Usurpers never been anything better or even different from whoever they killed. Usually they make it worse. That whole family thing, it's about fighting to survive. You stand fast for kin, not strangers. Don't you get that? I like Masan. I've always liked Masan. Yeah. You just like her curves. It's uh, so nice like I get so thirsty every time they descri- describe her. <laughs> like that so, horse, man. Oof. So that's the kind of thing that's like it's true enough of the time that you can stand back and say, I told you so about the usurpers aren't any better. But yeah. like, who's going to say that Tay holding better than like what came before in and uh-huh. uh, Leth- Lethery, right? So it's like it's like one of those things that's like that's like true. But then when it's not true, it's really not true. And so like, you know, a grain of salt, that kind of mentality, because it's kind of like, a oh, it doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter what you do, because it's always going to be the same kind of attitude. I mean, I, I'm not I'm kind of with her against Kisswear, but not like fully with her on the on the ideas. You know? I think I think Tehul is about as ideal a uh, replacement for another ruler as you can get, right? Because he's not even really usurper because he, he has it literally forced upon him. He's a philosopher king. Yeah. Right? Like uh, uh, Plato says, out of all people who should rule, <laughs> well, people who should rule are the ones who are most unwilling. Tehul, he didn't want it. Right? Everybody take a shot. Everybody take a shot. Everybody take a shot. Um, before we move on to chapter 20, which you should probably do soon. Uh, going a long all chapter. Way, all the way back to Badal. It's not even a very long chapter, right? It's just, it's just a just, good chapter. Just keep talking about it. 
Um, it's the longest in, the, in this book. Yeah, it's pretty um, long page count. Yeah. Um, okay. Vidal has, a, she makes several meta narrative points, I think. Words. I have nothing but words. I cast away many of them only to have others find me. What can words achieve here in this hard, real place? But doubts themselves are nothing but words, a troubled song in my head. When I speak, the snakes listen, their eyes are wide. But what happens when I, to all I say once the words slip into them? Alchemies. Sometimes the mixture froths and bubbles, sometimes it boils. Sometimes nothing stirs, and the potion lies dead, cold and gray as mud. Who can know? Who can predict? I have words and nothing else. And in these words I have no faith. They cannot topple walls. They cannot crush mountains down to dust. But what else is there? What else can I use against them? They are quitters. They claim power in their voice. I, too, seek power in my words. Have I learned from them? This is how it seems. Is this how it is? But it was not the quitters who cut down their world. They only came in answer to the death of our gods, our faith, when the rain stopped, when the last green withered and died. They came in answer to our prayers. Save us. Save us from ourselves. This, like, this to me feels like Steve thinking about his motivations for writing the Book of the Fall in the first place. And his anxieties about, oh, is it is is this just going to be a, a cry for compassion for nothing? Is this is this uh -huh. all going to fail? And you know, it's it's all in opposition to the quitters. <laughs> this is the only tool that I have in my belt. It's um, I mean, yeah, I I think we could unpack this one section for like a long time, and in fact, like <laughs> AP probably should talk about. We should this. we should get AP <laughs> to come on to talk about this, or Steve. Um, <laughs> but my short thought here is that it's also kind of a um a caution like be careful what mm -hmm. you say and what you wish for because words do have power and you know whether you know whatever your philosophy is in life but there are people who do believe that if you say it out loud you acknowledge it right you can manifest it so that's also something where it's like, just be careful what you say and wish for. Because be careful who you listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful who you listen to. The four of us. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what are you doing here, listener? <laughs> listen yeah. to someone smarter. <laughs> um, before we move on, I wanted to talk about a couple of humor things that were also in this chapter. This chapter was pretty funny. Um, pores. Kindly and pores. Oh my goodness! When I was reading that section, I was like. This could have been a Monty Python skit, oh, like God. literally. That was I love dog teeth, minnows, recruits. It's so funny. I love it. I, I especially love how Pores doesn't have a doesn't technically have commander anymore. He's yeah. just outside of the chain of command, co-opting resources for himself. Right. Beautiful. Which, I don't like Pores as like I would not be friends with this guy. You know, I would want to punch his face. But in the scene, it was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, other... notice that he doesn't actually have any friends in the Bone Hunters. Yes. He's like the one guy besides Kindly that doesn't have anyone to talk to. Right. <laughs> they have each other. Sort of. Yeah, it's a very strange relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the other part was <laughs> um, Benishar talking to Listera <laughs> and using wardrobe as a metaphor. I guess. It, do you know what I'm talking about? A, a metaphor for making choices. Um, oh, yeah. I uh, when, I was, when I was reading that, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> but you know what? 
it's kind of sound logic. I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, so. sometimes you're just like rehearsing a metaphor to like or an anecdote to to talk to a pretty girl, and it's just it just comes out all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I swear I had this. But the yeah. delivery of it—that's what's important, <laughs> right? Like the delivery was really good. And that's why it worked. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it would have been a lot of nonsense. And I would have been like, Steve, you can't write women. <laughs> uh, my last thing for this chapter is I like the idea of Ublala Plung representing the world uh, so that Draconis doesn't destroy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to save the world. Oh, that's funny. I was thinking about destroying it. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding this kindly pours thing. And, uh -huh. and all of these relationships throughout the Bone Hunters. Does does anybody write military stuff this good in fantasy? Like anyone? So the the other contender is uh, Cook. I That's think it. I think Steve does it better, but a lot of people I agree with Ash. I think yeah. Cook is like the only other person I could think of. Other other people can do banter and they could do camaraderie, but not like this. Mm-hmm. Cook is hey, Cook, um, Cook is the closest. You're you're talking when you say Cook, you're talking about um Black, Black Company, Company Cook, right? Black Company, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is like so much more fleshed out than that. Like Black I've Company is like Black super Company. dry, and <laughs> it's like not any. It's like I I see where this derived influence from that. Don't get me wrong, but this is like so much more fleshed out, and the relationships are so much deeper, and like it's so much funnier than Black Company. I, I don't know, like, and Esselmont doesn't, I like Esselmont fine, but it doesn't hit it it doesn't hit it like this Alright, um, Cook fans, come at us specifically come at Janeth I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> die on that hill It's, yeah, I, it, I think I think the Black Company's hilarious <laughs> It is funny, but is it this good though, with the military no, stuff? No, I mean Yeah, like, I want more you, of this You're asking the guy that's like has been criticized for being a fanboy and i mean i could accept that <laughs> yeah because the problem weird. with malazan is i want like 20 clones of this kind of military writing it doesn't even have to have all the gods and the tragedy and catharsis and all that but i want like 20 military writing clones like this and there's just nothing like it's like old 80s stuff that's just not gonna hit this same spot the same way and like for listeners i don't care the genre just give me something like this and yeah, re recommend it, please. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine I, there's. I would love it. Yeah, I imagine there's a good bit outside of fantasy. Well, sure. and I think part of why I hesitate to like say one way or the other on this is I don't think I'm well read enough mm. in like this fantasy, very large, broad genre, um, to be able to say definitively like, okay, this is the best that is out there right now. Um, I think there are authors that probably do this very well, but they're under the radar. That's and my constant anxiety. Like, I haven't read enough to be able to say, you know, yeah. something definitive about, like, this large category, you know? Well, I mean, but if somebody can come in and tell me that I'm stupid for not knowing it and then just put the author on my radar so I can read it, I, I'm happy to be stupid just to This is get a the call recommendation, for recommendations. You know? Please. Oh. You Cornwall uh... kind of hits it a little bit, but it's no, it's it's all centered around the main character, which kind of like it's not. Mm. I I want I like the more the zoomed out, cast. and Jango Wexler is kind of close, but it doesn't. It's still 
more focused on the officers and the main characters and not it's not as broad mm -hmm. i don't know you can rewatch saving private ryan and band of brothers they got this i have petitioned yeah, me to the next jacket. chapter yeah yeah <laughs> jacket. Yep. yes absolutely <laughs> chapter 20 god we've been doing this for an hour now chapter 20 silchus ruin and rudalal have an unfriendly meeting with oath bolar ethel Seatalk meets up with the survivors of the Trigal Trade Guild expedition. The parish and the Bulkando confer as to Tavor's goals. Um, so I was really rolling my eyes at Rodalal this section. Yeah. Why? Why hate? Why? I, I'm not hating. I'm just rolling my eyes. Okay. Why? <laughs> why? Like he, 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 like he's going by the 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 different name now. He's like he's all grown up and. At the end of the section, it's like, oh, he's now the master of him and Silchus, and he's like got he's got confidence and everything. I don't know. I, I to me, he's just kind of like still a five year old, which he literally <laughs> is. <laughs> um, and uh, like he he clearly doesn't understand the the game very well as of yet, like the game the gods play, and so this influences how he talks to Olar Ethel. And there is something Admiral Boat has youthful energy in sticking up for Silchus Ruin and, and, and whatever. Um, it's just, it doesn't feel quite earned to me yet. The, uh, the, yeah, fair. and the attacker defender metaphor kind of feels like it's like a little forced, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I like, disagree. I like Silchus Ruin's ruminations on, on society. Uh, this is probably the weakest of it for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I really liked uh, Torrent in the way he responded to the entire thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd, I'd I'd say the major theme for this chapter was uh, attack and defense, and the differences and the similarities between those two, because it came out a, a couple other times later in the book, like when uh, uh, I think the conversation with Shirk and Flash. Oh no, that's the next chapter. I can't find. It. I guess I didn't put it in my notes. Whatever. I really like that conversation between Siljas and Rudalal, and I think he's actually right. And I loved how it he was kind of... You said that you didn't feel like uh, Rudalal's, I don't know, usurpation of his place felt earned. And to an extent, I, I agree. Uh, especially because Siljas Ruin was lecturing him about these ideas about uh, attack and defense and what kind of person that he is, and he's a defender. And then in the very next scene, he meets with somebody who attacks him in the exact right spot. And like, he's just shook to the, the bones. Um, I forgot what I was saying. You agree with me. I think that was where you're going. Yes, uh, I, 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 I mostly agree with it, that it was online, but I really, I, I, I just agree with Silchez Ruin about like his ideas about uh, individuals and especially societies in terms of, you know, attack and defense. Because I live in a society that's very different from my home society, and it's definitely uh, a society that kind of attacks people through its uh, ability to be offended. If that makes sense, mm. that, that makes like sense. if you don't if you don't follow these social niceties, then like you're stepping out of the line, and that itself is kind of a defense that's also an attack, and all these things kind of play into each other. Mm. And I think it's also true for individuals too. And he never said that like uh, this one's better than the other, or that you know, these things can't change. He said they actually do. They they will change uh, based on, like, these situations. And uh, what else was it? Uh, he said it, they're also not opposites. They're just things that uh, play off of each other. And I I, I kind of love Silchess Ruin. I think he's just awesome. I love Silchess Ruin. I do. He is excellent. 
I do think uh, it's the, the moment where it especially felt the most unearned was when Radalal said um, that he have. like already has usurped yeah. Uh, yeah. Ruin and he didn't notice, basically. And I was just like, yeah, it kind of felt like a little a little much. But but I did like the stuff with Alor Ethel and, uh, and Ruin, and I liked Redalal jumping to Ruin's defense, and I liked Torrent knocking her on her but uh very that was really funny <laughs> very and that also played into the theme of attack and defense because at the same time he's attacking this lady and saving her life at the same time with the same yes. action yeah yes. she won't be she wouldn't really appreciate it either and torrent's because torrent has grown so much and i love him for it yeah he's so great in this section mm -hmm. and their whole conversation is just so cool especially when you realize from torrent's perspective that Silchess is just ruined. Like I just started crying when uh when Silchess is just because you know he's such a strong guy, but he's so mm -hmm. emotional. He, yeah. he just found out that both of his brothers are dead, and God, that's gotta hurt. Yeah, yeah. he definitely has younger brother syndrome. <laughs> and everyone's always picking on him. Why is everyone always picking on Silchess? Rooms like, oh, you're the worst brother. You're so weak, and you're nothing like Rapus. Yeah, because he's albino. They're all racist. It's ugh, it's so frustrating. Um. Uh I mean, I Go think ahead. he comes off. If you don't know him well, he he. I think he does come off like he's got like a chip on his shoulder more than either of the other two brothers. So it kind of makes him maybe an easy target. Maybe he definitely but does like have a chip on his shoulder. To be fair, he seems so much more approachable than Rake, and yes. he seems a lot more grounded than Anderist. <laughs> he's the middle ground. Yeah, I, I just love I love everyone. Um, to so um to the to the thematic point against my complaints about Rodalal, like a major sub theme of this of this book here is the like the young inheriting. Um and this this definitely is another iteration of that. But um I do like all the ways that it plays out. Like it plays out a lot in the in this book. Like there is That's a good call, yeah. Sin and Grub, there is uh Gun I don't know, the young Machamal. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's Torrent. There's what's his face that is inheriting the bar guest. Um, there is uh, Badal and the Ribby Snake inheriting the city of Icarium. Uh, Icarius. Yeah, Icarius. Um, there's more. Oh, there's the Shake inheriting Carcanus. It's everywhere in here. Falash sort of inheriting the her. No, n not yet. She's going to inherit the kingdom, obviously though. Um, do you, do you think that that this is really like a set up for you know the end because there's no point in really fighting if there's nobody to fight for right so they are the future right and it's this transition where the old guard i mean sure they're like fighting for their own survival but a lot of them are like i'm not gonna make it out of this mm -hmm. so then why are you fighting right they could just like walk away and let things happen, but because there is this next generation and the ones after, I think it's I that. think that's exactly it. Yeah, I think it's that, and also just showing the continuation of the endless cycle because you yeah. see the seeds of future conflict in these young people that are inheriting things as well. They're, that's true. They're growing damaged. They're they have the, their own chips on their shoulders, and you know they're going to continue. So much trauma. Yep. So much. Um, so not to step 
all the way down from your super zoomed out thematic. Uh, but oh, do it absolutely. The Volcando Queen. Like, you guys see why <laughs> I love the Volcando Queen? Is she's great. Go off on a yeah, whole tangent about how much time. you like the Volcando Queen, because I, I would like to. I would like to see this through your eyes. I I just love how she's like. Like you're you're set up to think the Volcano are gonna all be these like total scumbags who are just like manipulating uh, foreigners and like trying to like get one over on other people, and like even Spax kind of like sees like w- how are we gonna like have a conflict with these bone hunters and or and these perish to our benefit like we're mercenaries and we're working for you and. And let's do this to your advantage and like kind of pointing out the little ways she could like betray them and like pit, you know, like we can take care of them over here before we take them over. And she like sees all that and is like, yeah, but you work for me and I want to see what's going on. And like, what about this humanitarian crisis and Kalance? And like, are we going to let them go to war with Kalance if that's what they're doing? But and she sees through the parish when they try to lie and say they're self-serving. And it's like, no, they they're they're not self-serving. Uh, and I want in on whatever yeah. this selfless thing that they're doing is. Like, I don't know. I just love her. Like she's so like against everything that I was taught by the first part of the book to expect out of the volcano. And like even Spax doesn't really understand her at this point. Or if he does, he's like kind of going against the grain and trying to bring out the worst side of her and it's not working. I do love Spacks though, but for different reasons. <laughs> She's a very moral character and she comes out of this very amoral society and and you don't expect it. Uh like and 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 at first I like was with Spacks and like didn't have read on her basically and I, I don't know, I like her. I think one of her like well there are two main traits for this character, the queen is her curiosity right because why she's not gonna go and just like leave or overrun um the bone hunters is because she wants to know what's going on and then the second one is she does have a temper (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a a little tad um repeated too much like harped on like her red hair and you know her being like frustrated blah 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 um but yeah i think that curiosity like i get it because me as a reader i'm like i am also curious that's why i'm gonna make it to the end of this freaking series because i want to know what's gonna happen where are they going and what are they doing it for yeah oh and and by the way her altruism actually starts earlier with the the way it's revealed, her character is revealed is through the negotiations with the right. Cardinal Burn Tears, and that I that was probably before this section on the yes. episode I missed. But I loved that interaction of how like they like expected to go into it with her like feeding them a line and like right trying to get one over on them, and they made all these demands that they thought were going to be like too much and were going to like lead to right. potential violence. And she's like, actually, I'm going to throw in even more food, and we're going to sell it to you at these better I'm rates. I'm going to give that, you double. <laughs> yeah, like I just love her. I just love how she comes out of left field like that, and and is really this like moral paragon, like sitting on this like society that is like this like festering snake pit like i don't know i love her yeah 
I, I don't think I would call her a moral paragon. <laughs> I, I I made my thoughts clear on her in uh, the last episode. I didn't listen um, to it. Yeah. So um, sorry if I'm repeating things. No, it's okay. I, uh, yeah, I, I I I appreciate the thoughts. I definitely think that the reason that she has any moral staying at all is largely because of her curiosity, which probably enabled her to grow past the usual confines of her culture because she's, you know, thinking, trying out new ideas, trying out new systems, morality, uh, in, in normally very amoral space. Um, and yeah, there is a lot, there's a lot good about her. Sure. Yeah. I think it's mostly, she's fun. She's a fun character to have mm-hmm. in the mix. Um, there was, there was one part in this chapter, um, where said talk, uh, makes a comment. Um, they were talking about, I don't remember exactly what happened. Oh yeah. She meets cartographer. That's what it is. Which hello. The last episode I was like, we're going to see the guild. And you guys were like, nah, <laughs> what? Ha. Um, so Setok stepped round the horse and saw lying in a careless sprawl on the ground, a corpse for an instant, her breath caught talk. Who? No, saw him. Saw him, though, once. Funny eyes. Does nothing dead ever go away around here? <laughs> she demanded. Fear giving way to anger. And my notes was reflecting the reader's thoughts. Right here. <laughs> I knew you were going to catch it. Uh-huh. I, I, uh, I like that section. Uh, I'm sad Glenn Tarp is dead. Mm-hmm. He up his arms for no reason. Oh, and uh, I really like. He died still holding the reins, right? I yep. think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Ma- Mapo, I'm I'm just I'm so, I love Mapo. I'm just a Mapo stan, and it was really fun listening to him talk to faint, trying to keep her from fainting, I suppose. Uh, and just keeps talking and talking to her about like language and philosophy, <laughs> and just trying to keep her awake. Oh um, yeah. Because he's a good guy. <laughs> And we get uh, we get some more angry bull brothers. I I, I always like yes. seeing an angry bull, and uh, yeah, it seems like they're genetic abominations created by the jacket. Hilarious. <laughs> so when they were describing how um, the bull brothers were the reason why the survivors actually survived, because they literally like punched mm-hmm. their attacker with their like abnormally giant knuckles i just had this image in my head of um luffy from one piece like (laughs) doing that very exaggerated animated punch anyway but yes that was pretty cool although also very sad scene yep yeah because all these just all these characters we got to know over the course of 12 hounds they're all dead well a lot of them are dead a lot of them just off screen does, um, um, didn't the Bull Brothers and Told the Hounds like? Didn't they establish that they hate the Jackhead though? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah they it's, it's because that they were experimented on. They probably have such a, a high hatred of Jackhead and magical creatures. Seems like, oh, these these things are messing with us. Let's go round them up and and get them out of our swamp. Mm. They don't appreciate the Jackhead. They don't appreciate <laughs> the Jackhead. We're doing something humanitarian for them. <laughs> Um, my, my final <laughs> notes for this chapter were uh, Hayton is based words were cats were teeth with claws and claws without brains. Love you, Hayton. Because you hate cats. Oh, yeah, they're terrible. 
everyone, Huron fan is a cat hater. Isn't yeah. that so sad? The green team does not condone the uh, <laughs> the words of this man. <laughs> At least uh, when it comes I, to I hate to say it. My story said, mother, mother always said, and maybe it's Davi, mother always said cats were uh, claws and teeth without brains. <laughs> I disagree. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> um, I did have in my notes something relevant to this group. Um, so you you had mentioned that I think you're in about the whole um like philosophy talk to keep um what's her face all conscious. Think, yeah. Yeah. Uh perhaps a tautology then or some other manner of unprovable proof. Then again, it might well be something else entirely. Though I am occasionally philosophical, I do not claim to be a philosopher. The distinction is important, I'm sure. In my notes, I literally said, this sounds like ash. <laughs> this is something you would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I make no claims to be a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> but you are philosophical. I, yeah, on occasion. <laughs> yeah, let's go to chapter 21. Uh, chapter 21, Shake Stuff and Carcanus. Uh, Kilmandaros begins the effort to free the Odotaral dragon. Telerast and Kirtle find a new guardian. Draconis and Ublala meet a surviving bar guest. Falash secures some valuable information for her mother. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. Is the no. first chaining, is that the chaining of this Odotaro dragon? Um, no. When were they talking about the chaining? I don't remember. Well, I mean, this. When I hear Odotaro... first chaining, I think of the first chaining of the. the... The crippled god. It's like the they found the god. first piece and then they chained but it. There were conversations about, oh, how this was not the first chaining, or there were multiple chainings before. So if this wasn't the first one, this could have been one of those previous ones that they were talking about, maybe? The chaining think, of the yeah. Odotaro dragon? So the Odotaro dragon had to have been chained probably shortly after Cruel made the Warrens, or maybe, maybe slightly before. Cruel was okay. like, I need to get this thing out of here before it destroys the warrens i've right, created they're antithesis to each other yeah and when exactly the crippled god gets called down is i think ambiguous i i'm guessing that it's after the, okay. the warrens are introduced though so that's why i'm thinking i don't well i don't know because you know the whole like chaining of this dragon was like repeated multiple times so i'm like okay is this like kind of a hint that this was the first chaining that people have been talking about before wouldn't the first chaining be after the, yeah ab, uh, would it be after the warrens are created like do we know if the warrens were created prior to the three gods coming to spit on Kalor? I, I don't think we know or did the dragon have to be chained in order for cruel to make the warrens good questions okay. <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> okay. um so um because, the, the, oh, sorry. the various dragons are all aspected to, to, to various warrens. Yeah, uh, well, because we it literally says, Cruel must have participated. He must have played a role in this chaining. After all, he had the most to lose. She was mm -hmm. the poison, as you say, but if she was so to her kin, that was incidental. Her true poison was when she was loose in Cruel's blood in his warrens. He okay. needed her chained, negated. So, okay, you're right. It did happen after the yeah. Warrens. Probably pretty soon after, or else all of the Warrens would be dead. Right. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, don't you think it's curious that the crippled god has now taken her place, that he is the one now poisoning Cruel? Oh, um, the Ocharles Dragon is located in the Imperial Warren, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So she had to have been chained after the crippled god. Yeah. Because. Oh yeah. Good point. Oh no! Wait. Yeah. No! No! No. The what? the Imperial Warren is created to put the the ruins of the continent of that the, the ruins oh, that right. was the continent of Kalans. Oh right, right, right. right. Okay. Corelli. Corelli. Uh, yeah. Uh, to have to give it somewhere to go. So, at some point after that, he must have chained the 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 Oh Charles Dragon in there. Was there an animator's idea though? Oh yeah, I think it was. I think, I think was it, uh, Rake was involved. But couldn't she have been chained first, and then whatever like, part she was on became the um, Imperial? I was thinking one? that too. That's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Which um, is why that's why I'm thinking she is the first chaining because. They say, don't you think it's curious that the cripple god has now taken her place? That's all. Timelines in Malazan are so hard to <laughs> Okay, <remember>. sorry. <laughs> sorry, never mind. But, I ask. Okay, but the crippled god, um, the poison of the crippled god is because of all the like pain and suffering that he goes through over all of the years of being like like having his body like split apart and like having like his energy siphoned off for the gods to feed off of like i don't think he like landed and immediately starts poisoning i thought he literally just started poisoning it in memories of ice yeah wasn't it like after multiple chainings too like i I thought it was um the the poison is just because he's he's just of a different substance that's kind of like on a fundamental level incompatible with this reality Maybe it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I don't think so because the um, uh, because I don't think I can say that because I think it's from the crypt of God. So in in the in memories of ice, the the scene where we see we find out that he's poisoning the Warrens, um, the the giants that are holding up burn are like, oh, you got it. It's it's we're so close to being taken over by this. Like it's we're almost dead. It's gonna be tens of years at at the max. Right, and then the quick man's like, "That's an obscenely long amount of time for me to deal with this." Um, <laughs> so I think it's very possible these things have been getting poisoned for like a, a really long time. I don't know, I don't know how long, I but clearly point. they're like very strong. It took took many, many, many years to to get weakened sure. by this poison, or else they wouldn't be thinking on this time scale. I think. Okay. Who knows? Who knows? Hust swords are cool. Swords are cool. Us swords are cool, he said. Yeah, they are cool. Um, there was and this whole conversation about the Semblis and the Symbolacus. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, Emperor of the First Empire, but not the actual First Empire. One of the many First Empires. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and he's also, actually the Daragoth. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it was like, wait, was he a? Uh, it basically was trying to get through like what his origin was and how he evolved that was quite the well we got that a few books back wasn't it wasn't he only mentioned in this one because it was talking about how he went to uh curdle and tellerast and like yeah uh, yeah to use like shape-shifting to like get them free of yes yes because curdle and tellerast were chained as well Mm mm-hmm yeah they they're like the two that are one that are is actually two (laughs) oh it was right it was the origin of curdle and Telleras. yes she was trying to figure out (laughs) who they were they're they're twins from the same egg and maybe incestuous lovers that almost had taken over the throne of shadow until Drake came along that that jerk 
Um, yeah. It's, after it's the also, prologue of Reaper Scale. implied that they might not be twins from the same egg, but might actually be one like a diverse of yeah. the same person. Yeah. Um, uh, and they just it, like... Well, yeah. in this, like, the, the, the way that they were freed from their chains was getting put into the same body of a Ticed woman. And right. Yeah, so, like, they're, they're, they're soul taken, like, from different bodies into one body that, you know, they probably went insane in that body, and this is why they are the way they are now, and when they split, they can't maintain the forms, and... This feels, like, very much a role-played kind of tangent. <laughs> like, I don't know what same person would sit down and really just like write this straight. I think, I think this is uh, an expression of Steve reminding us that categories, while useful, uh, are not are not always uh, easy to maintain or sacrosanct. Because, like, okay, we have this concept of diverse, and now we have concept of soul taken, starting yeah. dead house gates, and. Like, what's what is it? What are these two categories? Like, obviously, they're not exclusive categories. But what is? But like, why? This is a messy. This is a messy categorization thing of, of shifting and it know, also turning might different. Structuralism. That's why. It yeah. also <laughs> might be like a rejection of the idea that these characters have a discernible backstory. Like, okay. Like right. the, he's just like, well, the past might be this, but it might be that. But it might be that, and, mm -hmm. and and they might they might have came from the same egg, but maybe they were the same person, or maybe, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like who knows? They're insane. They don't know. You'll never know. <laughs> it's um... everything. Everything that is associated with shadow in any way is just this hopelessly confusing mess. <laughs> uh, all right, fine. Um, I liked Kirk's conversation about Janeth and uh, Tehol, and uh -huh. like, hey, Flash, you should probably go talk to them. I have my own ideas, and it was fun. But like, yeah, they don't like people like you and they don't like your power. They don't like their power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, they, they reject the uh, the foundation of your reality, basically. And they're working very hard to make it go away. <laughs> but that yeah. would mean they lose their own power. Yes. <laughs> yes, Flash. But but like, I also like she didn't like 100% like reject it, too. She was like a little thoughtful and like... Mm -hmm. You know, she was like, oh, I need to think about this. And, like, it was not like something where she was just like, oh, God, how horrid. That's true. Yeah, she was like, that. I really enjoyed this conversation. Stop terminating cliche. Please go away. Uh, like, and that's I, I'm not I think I oversold my enthusiasm for her character in the previous episode, but I do <laughs> like her character, but not as much as I like the queen. Uh, and and I think this was another scene where I was like, ah, see, it's not like totally. You know, I like refusing to think about this. Complicated than you'd think at first. I yes. think I think this is a scene where the seeds are planted for her to be better than her mother. Because her mother, while mm -hmm. uh, virtuous in many ways, is still... Her thoughts are still constrained by the assumptions of the Bokondo. Um, so maybe this is an area where Falash she starts to think outside of those those constraints. And maybe there is right. some hope for the future there. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and keep in mind, this is her favorite daughter. So right. It is her favorite daughter. daughter. So she maybe daughter. wanted a daughter that could stand on her shoulders, you know, and, yeah. and be better than she is. 
Yeah, maybe. I wonder what's happening with all the other daughters, honestly, and how... (laughs) (laughs) They probably drank all their blood. Uh, Yeah. Mm. I did like Shirk's um, little speech, um, like, in that conversation. She was she was saying, I was but conveying to you an interpretation of Taehole and Janet's position contrary to the one you have been taught to believe. <laughs> Which I really like that part. Just like, here's a different perspective. Such complicated philosophies are well beyond me. Besides, I do really besides, do I really care anymore? I work within the system because that is an agreeable option, a means, in fact, of avoiding boredom. I am also able to keep my crew wealthier than they might otherwise be, and this pleases me. Which, that's interesting, because she's not really just doing it for her. She's doing it for her crew. For myself, of course, I cannot even tell you if I believe in anything, anything at all. Why should I? What would such beliefs grant me? Peace of mind? My mind is at peace. A secure future? Since when is the future ever secure? Worthy goals? Who decides what's worthy? What's worth all about anyway? <laughs> Highness, believe me, I am not the one for this discussion. Yet, <laughs> she totally is. She clearly is. She just, she's just kind of tired. I, I also like um, the start of their conversation. My first mate was complaining, Princess, a short time ago. This has been a pleasant enough journey thus far, somewhat tedious. What causes he to complain? He is a noseless, one-eyed, one-handed, one-legged, half-deaf man with terrible breath. But I agree <laughs> with you, Princess. No matter how bad things can appear to be, they can always get worse. Such is life. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, Corrin says cities are ticks. I think I agree with him. I disagree. Cities are great. Cities get a bad rap. Uh, if people were just go back to an agrarian lifestyle, maybe we wouldn't be killing the planet and all the resources on it. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. Okay. Oh dear. This, that's a that's a conversation that's broader than this episode. <laughs> but let let me plant a flag. I disagree with you. <laughs> if we Cities want are a good place for lots of people to gather together and make lots of trash. I think I think cities are a place. If you think humans are good, then they are good. If you think humans are bad, then cities are bad. Okay. Boobs. Yeah. Boobs. 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 Moves yeah, as diplomacy you. tactic. That's my response to what you Hell yeah. just said. That's a that's good diplomacy. I don't know. At least she was like expert in boobs to wounds. <laughs> she was um, Sakara the Vile got uh, a mercy killing, although I don't think she quite saw it that way. Not the end. Yeah. I I don't know. That character was just like meh. I mean, I know her purpose, I guess, but I didn't. I didn't I, cry. I didn't and really I care didn't... about her. Yeah. I just no. I didn't either. Um. She's she's truly terrible. But I think it tells you a lot about Draconis and how uh, hmm, what he's like. Hmm. See, I completely read this scene very cynically the first time and was like, Draconis is just killing somebody who witnessed that he's the one who killed all the Bargast when he showed up. Oh, really? And it's like a self-serving... Yeah, that's how I... I, I, I didn't buy it at all. I was like, oh, he just killed all oh. these people and she's the only witness. So he's saying... Why would he care, though? Draconis, I, he I cares really don't his think... public image, right? He okay. can't let Mother Dark know that he genocided the people his first time back. She knows it. That was his first words after he did it. 
So rereading re um, the scene, but also like having read Carcanus and rereading Told the Hounds. Never mind. But the first time I read it, I was just like, oh, the scary elder god guy. She's the only one who saw that he that he's the reason all these bar guests died. And this girl's complaining that all the bar guests are dead. And he's pretending to be sympathetic. So he's like, I like, you know, totally read I can it differently. See, I can see why you thought that. Like, now that you said it, I can see why you thought that. Especially, like, reading it for the first time and you don't know anything else, right? Where it's like, you are questioning everything because that's what Erickson has taught you to do as a reader so I totally see that if it were anybody else like if it were somebody that actually had some way to rival Draconis I would right I think yeah, that I would definitely about, be I wasn't thinking about I think that, that would definitely be a part of his uh motivation well okay you say that but we also are in a world where people on a similar level to Draconis can get knocked out in a punch by, like, just some guy. So it's, like, very unclear who can okay. rival who. Yeah, I, I put it the wrong way. I think Draconis wouldn't care if everybody knew that he killed all the Barcast. I don't, <laughs> I I don't agree think with this you could now. be used to get him at all. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you now. I, I do. I, 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 view the, I view Draconis much more sympathetically than I used to. And, 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 and on a reread of Toll the Hounds, it's very obvious that He's a sympathetic character, and same with his scenes and gardens. Really, I mean, he's I think he's a complicated guy. character. I I don't think he's yeah. We we could talk about Draconis some other time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like eighty percent of the reason that the world of Melasm exists in the first place, and like almost all the events in the series can be traced back to him in some way. Um, but uh, he's a yeah. yeah, definitely complicated. Yes. Uh, shall we move on to chapter twenty-two? Yes. Sure. Excellent. Chapter 22. Vidal banishes Braderall from the Crystal City. Gruntle and Stormy are kidnapped by the Kachanchamal. Oh, That's you forgot little... um, Pora's getting knocked out by Nefarious Bread. Oh my god. <laughs> is, that, is that in this chapter? I thought yeah, it was in the next chapter. Pora's okay. was uh, fainted out and the Hedge is like, hey, I know what happened. Or like, like, well, I, I heard some rumors. <laughs> or like one of the best parts of this entire book is uh, Hitler knocking Quickben out in this chapter. With oh, Quickben deserves every <laughs> knockout he gets. That was so funny. <laughs> um, it was so great. And, and then Quickben doesn't remember because he got knocked out so hard. <laughs> he, had, he really had a thought. It <laughs> really struck him. Well, because like... Like, what was so great about it is you get, like, the humor of the mages and the humor of the soldiers and the resentment towards the way the mages act. Like, and it all, like, is so built up over all the nine books so far uh, that you really, by this point, have a sense of how frustrated Fiddler is that Quickbin doesn't come out and say anything, right. which is like one of the reader frustrations from book one when you don't know everything that Quickbin's not saying. And it all comes out and he bangs him over the head. And then this is my only lengthy quote is from the scene for this episode. He says, never liked him, need him, count on him, pray for him, <laughs> love him, I, but like him, not a chance. Goat slicker, doll maker, soul eater, Probably soul taken or divers too, if I'm any judge of things. Whiskey Jack, did you hear the sound it made hitting his head? This old helm of mine, did it stir the dead all around you? Did you all sit up, rush to the gate? You looking honest right now, Sarge? 
hey, all you bridge burners, how'd I do? And I was just like, <laughs> like it's just so perfect. I, like, they all just break out cheering. <laughs> Finally, someone <laughs> did it. And he's being so frustrating at that point because he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's that could change from all this and it's that they fly and and he just says it all like so matter of factly like of course it's all and 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 filler's just getting more mad and more mad i am so great uh you know i as a reader i don't actually find quick ben that frustrating i'm just like tell me more quick ben but (laughs) it's like i really enjoy his um, exposition scenes because part of it is like confirmation to the reader like oh yes I did get that right you know um, but the other part is just like so fascinating that he just I think it's again like the delivery of it like he just says it so matter-of-factly you know um, yeah so I I don't actually find him that frustrating I don't find him frustrating in, in, in this book uh in gardens he's a little frustrating mm. um but because he and kalam are like both like playing 5d chess and whiskey jacks <laughs> trying right. to keep up the whole time and it's it's uh yeah it's it's a little frustrating but but i just like I, to watch him work that's all but like i understand why fiddler was pissed off because he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. just keeps touting out these huge threats and like like he does it so matter-of-factly and like right Fiddler's like, what? I have to deal with this. I have to deal with this. I have to deal. Oh my god! Just stop talking. Like, yeah. See, don't get me wrong. It's fun he, to be on the outside. He, but if I were he, with like, him, and it's also like how smug he is. Like he's True. like, like, like Fiddler's like seeing it as like, oh, you're enjoying this, aren't you? you well, and like, they've been they've known each other for so long. They've fought together for so long. You would Fiddler, I think, feels like you owe. Like I should have earned more than this mm-hmm. you should be able to tell me more than this yeah and he's yeah. still just a paranoid bastard yeah I, I i like reading quick ben if i had to be around quick ben i i would i would hate him <laughs> it would be the worst right <laughs> especially if like this is literally literally lives at stake your lives at stake your friends lives at stake yeah. and there's just like this tight-lipped guy he knows he probably knows well, he, he knows almost all of it, and he's just not telling you because he's he's just. Paranoid. But then when he is telling you, which is in the scene, he's always, in the yeah. scene he's telling you, he's telling him, and mm-hmm. he's giving him like bad news upon bad news upon bad news, in this like smug like. Well, of course it's this way. And, you know, oh yeah, they fly and, like just like you know I've known all along, and that you can tell. Yeah, you can tell Quick Ben's a little bit resentful that to, it's not new information to Devor. Oh, <laughs> so right. He, he did he, make that She point. knows it already. God damn it. He's like, I, I tried like, surprising her and it never yeah. worked. <laughs> it was like, you gotta tell her. He's like, eh, she already knows. <laughs> um, my, my complaint, I mean, I have many complaints, but one of my complaints is, and I put this in our DMs, was it Bedell? and Breda Roll, whatever, these two characters, like, it took me until this far in this book to finally tell the two apart. I really wish he would have picked at least one different name for one of the characters so that it would have been easier. And this isn't the only time. It's like, there's multiple times where he just names people a little too similar and 
they're like they just just get confused in my brain. Three thousand percent worse on audiobook. <laughs> I I can't imagine. Like no. <laughs> when they were talking about the Bone Hunters on audio, I just like <laughs> I'll figure out from story clues who Ooh. we're actually talking about, or I won't, and it, it's fine. <laughs> I I cannot imagine reading this series on audio. I I I will do some of the books surrounding this. I've heard especially that the God is not willing is an excellent narrator. Okay. But man, like the cast is too big. There's too many characters. They're all like like the cues, the 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 vocal cues that they're the, in their dialogue. It's it's too subtle. It's too much rereading that needs to be done to understand points. No, couldn't do it. I have a question. So does the narrator, like the audiobook narrator, try to do different voices for for the different characters? Mm-hmm. Oh my Are goodness. they consistent? For the most part, yeah. Okay. okay. Good. That that's impressive. I mean, a lot of the soldiers sound alike to okay, each other. Okay, well, yeah, that's but, fair. That but, makes sense. But yeah, but but even there's a lot of range even within that. Like um, That's pretty impressive. I yeah. I always find it extremely impressive when narrators manage to keep the all the all the voices correct for each of the characters because when I do voices I never never I'm never able to remember I can if I'm playing uh, a role playing game true. as a PC I can keep that one voice correct if I'm a d- dungeon master no way so, <laughs> my problem is. Like, I can keep it consistent for, like, one session or maybe, like, a set of sessions. But, like, if you listen to me reading Gardens Out Loud at the beginning and then at the end, like, Fiddler and Kalam have probably switched voices with each other. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I can keep, like, I'll have it, I'll be like, oh, I've got Kalam perfect. It'll never be that good again. And in zero to two weeks, it. It it also will not be that good again because it's not <laughs> going to be that voice anymore. Uh, and and I do the same thing with D and D characters. I had yeah. the perfect Brian Blessed as King Richard the Fourth voice for my character, and it was so funny. And I like bellowed it at the top of my lungs, and everybody in the house was laughing every time the character talked. And I could never get it again. Like it was Aww. just like a one, one or two times, and then I ever since I've tried replicating and i can't if if i'm doing an accent i can't even keep the same accent over multiple sentences (laughs) oh yeah i I start out irish and i end up like scottish (laughs) i i I, yeah they're all british it's fine i try to do british accents doesn't matter which kind (laughs) mr anderson says you always end up sounding indian i'm like dang it And and the narrator, by the way, gets the accents pretty good. Like the Daru characters all kind of have an accent, and the Japanese characters kind of have a uh, have an accent. So oh yeah, how is Nefuro? Oh my god, it's really good, really, really. All the all the (laughs) Dalhanese characters are he's Dalhanese, right? I think he's Dalhanese. Yeah, yeah. I think all the Dalhanese characters are really good. I cannot read his dialogue. It actually makes more sense if you say it out loud. Okay, yeah, yeah. which makes I, the I read it out loud. Yeah. The audiobook narrator just kills. Okay, I'm gonna have to try it. that next time because once I oh, see yeah. his dialogue, I'm just like gloss. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was the same way until like when reading this book, I was just like, I'm just gonna try to sound it and see see how it sounds. <laughs> and yeah, now I can understand what he says. Okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. all right, I'm gonna have to go back. Do you agree that 
Um, so Cora was thinking that Tavor is better than Leoman. Yes. Can we agree yes. this? Yes. Mm -hmm. I will agree to it based on the information that I currently have. <laughs> For more on okay. Leoman, read the Isolmont books. Three through five. <laughs> I forget. It's maybe three and four. I don't uh, know. It's mostly, I think it's just Stormwilder and uh, Orb Scepter. Yeah. Is it? Is he an Orb Scepter? I don't remember. He's he's a sympathetic character in Esselmont. Oh, okay. Esselmont gets you to like Leoman and Tayshrin somehow. And, and I always like really... Slack. Tayshrin always like Tayshrin. Tayshrin's I, awesome. I converted to Tayshrin uh, relatively early on. Yeah. I went, I mean, yeah, but. The conversion is much more real after reading Esselmont. Like, I'm like mm. a diehard, like, oh, Tayshrin, poor Tayshrin. I have so much sympathy for him. Yeah. There's that... just no way that Erickson Tayshrin could ever get me to have sympathy. Well, because I mean, we Cam... don't really see much of him anyway. <laughs> Cam converted me to Lazine. Cam, Cam's Lazine is, is phenomenal. I love, I love how she's, she's, she's good. Yeah. All right. There's a whole other. I, I still haven't forgiven her, though. Yeah, there's a whole other side that I have yet to tap into. I don't think he'll ever sell me on Malagrel the Merciful. <laughs> I was afraid of that before reading Forge. <laughs> oh man, I uh, you know, I I'm not sold on Malagrel as a person. I am sold on Malagrel in other aspects, sort of. I don't know. I'm waiting to see. Um, speaking Maybe. of seeds of hope for the future, uh. Badal uh, deciding to spa spare Braderall. That's a little. That's a little nugget as well. A little nugget of hope. Wait, say that. Say that again. Badal banishing Braderall instead of just killing her. Right. Okay. Yeah. She yeah. had a sword too. She had just cause. She had the ability. She had the means, motive, and opportunity. She let her go. Yes. Do you think that was the right call? I love Badal. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Is it the right thing to do? Probably. I think if you're hopeful for a better world, yes. If you are not, then no. I mean, are you? Am I hopeful for a better fork or a sale? <laughs> they're they're all irredeemable trash. Is that it? <laughs> the, not all of the them. The entirety but... of this race is is garbage. No, there are, couple, there are a couple of them that are all right. Uh, you're like saying that because they got long limbs. We got to find a you're, solution. You're limb limbist. I just don't like their. Uh, <laughs> their ideology or their official ideology are some um, cultures better than others yeah um a couple things that i noted in this chapter was um kaneb he was kind of daydreaming a little bit he was like you know it'd be nice to get some good news for a change like the high mage has opened us a warren that'll take us right to wherever it is the adjunct wants us a lovely warren rolling fields of flowers and gamboling deer that fall dead at our feet whenever we get hungry. Water? No, the rivers are rivers of wine. Ground soft as pillows every night too. It's great. Oh, and when we get there, the enemy take one look at us and drop their weapons and send for wagons loaded with the booty of a king's vault. And the women. And then he gets interrupted. I really enjoy that because that's realistic. It's like, oh. Why can't we just get good news for a change? You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's very uh, il illustrative, that small chunk. I could picture it. And uh, yeah. And then the other part that I really enjoyed was um, Briss 
is like interviewing everybody in his army about the wasteland and like what do they know and he has this uncanny ability to remember names and faces and just be able to like correctly recap after a long day to ascribe i'm like i would really like the skill please because as i have gotten <laughs> older my memory has gotten so much worse isn't that a reference to his um to like his remembering all the forgotten gods and stuff isn't that why he has that maybe i don't know that's what i took it as it's like a, a nod to him like knowing the name of like every forgotten god that male had mm. previously been oh right because he's on. the one that frees male back in whatever that book was midnight tides yes that one uh, male is not captured midnight tides that would be reaper's gale oh no but... there was wasn't so he does free some things at some point in either of those books wait it was names. in memories of ice no uh oh. Sorry, did I say Memories of Ice? I don't know. No, it's Midnight Tides and Reaper's Gale. But yeah. isn't it Midnight Tides where he gets the list of all He gets the, the list in Midnight Tides, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it, plot stuff. Who cares about plot? I don't care about plot. Mm. You know what I do care about? I care about the Crystal City. The Crystal City is so it's such a cool little setting. It's where the Jaghut and the Kachain Shamal lived in harmony, which is whack considering their history um another little seed of hope but this time seeded in the past and it's also hopelessly tragic because ikarian was just trying to build it so that he remembered anything and it was another mm. doomed experiment of his yeah um it was nice to finally see something good happen to the ribby snake um, <laughs> as opposed to everything else but they were still eating the dead children yeah um even though they had food on and I mean, I get it, but yeah, tragic. It's a hard fix. It it is. Yep. Um, in the last episode, I made a prediction that Kalith was going to join that person and Tena Kalala. <laughs> I can't say their names. I'm sorry. Brukalian um, and oh, Tena Kalian and Krugava. Yeah. Yeah, the, oh, those. Mm. And yeah, the mortal sword and shield anvil of the wolves. And I was so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was so wrong. <laughs> you forgot there was a destroyer also looking for two nuance. I yeah. forgot that, yeah, Gessler and Stormy were also shield anvil and mortal sword. So there you go. Did, by the way, did you catch? Uh, well, I it was stated. Seatalk uh, is called uh, a Destrian. Yes, and she yeah. is related to the wolves, so that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't catch that earlier, but anyway, there you go. It's a lot of iteration. How did the Talani Mass in Bone Hunters know that Stormy and Gessler were the mortal sword of the Kachain Chamal? Uh, I don't know. They're Aura, man. Just, you they've been just around read it, for a man. while. <laughs> I, 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 okay, I think I think that they do look at Stormy as like, yes, that's a, that's clearly a shield anvil in denial. Because that's, that's what he's been this entire series, right? He's, he's so overly irritable. Um, it's only a defense <laughs> mechanism because he's he's such a little softy inside. I guess. Especially after Truth died. Oh, wow. Oh, I forgot Truth died. Yeah. Oof. 
that's one we haven't seen again. Yeah, Truth is dead. Yeah, you're never gonna see him again. Sorry, he he blew up. All right, that was one I didn't believe because Steve brings them back. Right. Um, uh, generally, I find it very easy to distinguish which the like which the ones that are dead, dead at least. But um, maybe I just have a gift. I maybe wish that. Do. I wish that somebody had sat me down before I read any Esselmont novels and said, look, Esselmont's not going to do you like Steve does. They're dead. They're dead. <laughs> and and that I would have. OK, that's good more, to know. Thank you. Much more impact on uh, the deaths of Esselmont novels. My um, last bit from this chapter was Gessler and Stormy's banter because <clears throat> they've known each other for so long. And apparently Gessler got it on with Stormy's mom. <laughs> and this whole time Stacy's mom that song was just playing in my head except replace Stacy with Stormy Stormy or Stormy go. yeah, yeah exactly yeah. there you go now it's gonna get stuck in your head maybe shall we move on to chapter 23 I support this decision Excellent. Chapter 23. The conjurer received word of the need of the bone hunters as Masan Galani makes contact with the unbound the Bone Hunters meet some unfriendly strangers on the road through the wasteland. That is putting it mildly. <laughs> oh my god. It's nothing personal. There's just in the way. No, it's They're nothing just personal. I know. I this this scene is it, it's it might be the high watermark of the series for me. Um specifically like the two two points. Um when the Marines are retreating to the trenches. And the heavies along the lines oh. hail the Marines. Yeah. And then there is this moment they, uh, whoever's retreating, I forget what he, who he is. Um, the, the heavies are scared. And then they're steel and they yeah. rise up to meet the Naruk. Uh, that I almost cried at this time. Um, and when Akarim is coming back and he's saying, oh, I, this matron, she might have been a friend. Um, uh intruders you you bring death destruction and the dust of dreams or whatever uh but i am a cardium and i bring far worse mm -hmm. and that's a that's like top three badass moments in the series i think this the last two chapters are so cinematic mm -hmm. it was incredible and let me tell you and i put this in our chat i was like look if this were a romance novel, we would all have blue balls for the majority of this book. <laughs> but the satisfaction at the end was pretty great. It's so cathartic. Yeah. And, Honestly, it might be a better ending than the ending of the actual series. But, <laughs> really? But not as an ending not, for this no. Okay. Um, but it's one I of like, my favorite endings. The way that I, I don't this... get it. Sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like, I think The Cripple God is probably the finest ending to any series I've ever read. And, like, this is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, Cripple God, nothing tops it. Okay, well, something that I'm really, really looking forward to getting to. <laughs> um, but the way that this chapter started, you're like, okay, why is this story being told? It seems very irrelevant. And then when all the pieces fall into place, then I was like, okay. But he had to set it up. And so I think that's like um, 
it's interesting that it's a, a strength and a weakness of Erickson's, I think, because he does have to take moments out of the flow to be able to set things up later on. And sometimes those moments, I'm just like, let's get on with it. I just want to get to the plot, you know? Um, but in this But one, it is the plot all along. I know. In this one, it was interesting enough, I guess, um, where I was like, okay, and clear enough in terms of what he was trying to convey. But sometimes it's a bit too vague. That's right. He's, he's, he's a vague guy. Yeah. So, Kieran, real quick, I agree with you that this series has one of the best endings of series in general. Like, all, probably my favorite ending of, of any series I've ever read, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it has a, it's a series of 10 books that all have some of the best endings of books of any books <laughs> that I've ever read. So when you are comparing them against, against each other, that's why I'm like, oh, this book might have a better ending than the, than the Crippled God. Oh, I get you. I get not, you. It's, I'm not knocking the Crippled God ending. Just to be I clear. know. But, you know. I didn't think you were. I just also okay. disagree. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But I didn't. I just wanted to be clear that I wasn't like trying to knock the ending or anything. I think. Um, I think in terms of endings that make your butt clench and you like lean forward close to your book and like the the sinking in the stomach and like oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god. Yeah. This is yes, the yes, this yes. is the ending that has it the most. Like biting oh, your nails, edge of your yeah. seat, like stomach dropped out, like just like terrified. Especially because it's. It's really just the last two chapters. <laughs> and it, some it, of the other it, endings are like literally five chapters. Yeah. And, and it both comes out of nowhere and it's like, right. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you understand what we were talking about now, Panda? We're like, well, it's don't it's forget about the sky up. keeps. <laughs> you got the yeah. sky keeps, there's a storm. <laughs> They've been sitting there for four books or something. Just Strange like magical powers, less just waiting technology. There. So <laughs> I know they've been setting this up for so long. Like the sky keeps in the Imperial Ward, the crucified dragon that Akari Mampo find in the old uh broken down Kachain sky keep, the mm-hmm. Naruk killing the that Jag Hut in Bone Hunters. Like it's been so long that this has been set up with all these little side moments that just seem like they're world building and don't mm-hmm. have anything to do with anything. It's just like, and all the moments of the bar guests, they're like the in this book, just like the the dread, like something is coming. What's coming? We know something is coming to get us, and it's the Naruk, and that the the hints are there all along, right? But. Um... But they, but then they, but that's subverted because the the Naruk never come for the bar guest. I mean, it's the Talani the, mass that end up. Yeah, yeah, for the, the for the bar guest. Yeah, absolutely. But like, it's just like a sort of Damocles hanging over the entire novel, like the the entire time through. Like something is coming, and, and the Malazans all get this feeling of dread, and yeah, they're they're thinking that something's up, and then Tenakalian's like, wait, no, this it's not supposed to happen yet. That whatever is coming is supposed to be later, and yes, yes, yeah. and Tanakalian's even like, no, this isn't the the convergence. That's down the line. Like we've yeah. got time, and it, and and it's like a totally different convergence that has just nothing to do with. Yeah, it's anything, so perfect. But I, yeah, oh, it's see, so perfect. From my perspective, I was annoyed. <laughs> I was so freaking annoyed. Like, okay, 
the whole sequence itself, really cool, very cinematic, very intense and everything. Very exciting. But the way it happened, the way that it, um, for me as a reader, reading this the first time, not always paying the most close attention through, <laughs> you know, the previous eight books mm-hmm. and eight and a half. Um, I was like, what the hell? Like, I get that there were crumbs planted along the way, but they were they were just barely ripples in the big pond that I was navigating that I was just like, okay, you know what? I don't have the capacity to keep this in my mind, right? In my bank. I'm just going to gloss over it, keep reading. Because with each book, there is that arc, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm following that arc. I know that there's a larger picture, but the cripple God, and this is kind of the whole red herring kind of thing as well, where it's like, he's pointing you in this one direction Yes, he may have given you crumbs about other things, but so many things were pointed like big red arrow, crippled God, um, that I'm just like, that's the only thing I can really pay attention to because there's so much going on. And so when the Naruk happened, I was like, why? Why? Oh, do you, okay. do, do you okay, want the explanation of what the Naruk are up to here? But thematically, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because, like, the whole thing that's being driven home in this book is, like, that uh, you have, like, there's there's two main themes that are both driven home by the by this battle. And one is that uh, the, the whole thing about accidents and being in the wrong place yes. at the wrong time. And that, like, you know, like, if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, where you thought you were going and where you thought the big thing was going to be isn't necessarily where things are going to end. So that's one of them. And then the other one is the repetition of, like, like as tradition as the as, as stupidity on purpose and, like, the repetition of, like, these same cycles of uh, conflict that are getting people nowhere, which is, like perfectly embodied in like the Bargast and the way that their traditions are and how they're like seeking these like pointless conflicts and then you have like the Naruk and the Jamal that are just like killing each other because they're different and have like a different philosophy and then it's like hinted with the Tyst, the Andy and the Leosin and the Shaker right in between and like it's all along the line and then like right in the you have those two themes kind of converge in this battle because the Naruk are coming for the Jamal for this big stupid pointless battle and wrong place wrong time here are the Malazans who think they're going to Clance you know and it just oh like I love this ending the more I talk about it the more I like it but see this is what i wish i was more on board with it but the thing is like the naruk if they were really just like i'm gonna go kill the kachain like circumnavigate they could totally just bypass these people that have nothing to do with what they were doing why would they i yeah i think they just like don't want to they're just like it's like it's like, okay, you're you're walking along the path to get to wherever you're going, and you see, like, a little colony of ants, you know, and you just, oh, and maybe you accidentally step on it. It's like, well, I know, don't I'm not accidentally gonna step on it. it. I'm like, I'm going to go avoid that because <laughs> I don't, well, one, I don't want to get fire ant bites if they're fire ants. Um, You've never actually got a bug. But How many this times is have different. You... This is not accidentally stepping on them. Yeah, I don't think this is either. I think this is more along the lines of like they 
they see the humans as in, in not a threat, uh, but th there there is an army there, and there's about to be a convergence between these two powerful armies. So we don't want them coming af after us in our weakened state. We don't want an army like on the fringe of the territory we're encroaching on. We'll get rid of them on the way to where we're going because we're so much better than them that while we're at full strength before this fight, they won't pose any kind of threat to us and we're just going to mow them over. Maybe. Like, they're a lesser species. We're going to get rid of them now. This is a species that just destroys dragons for fun. Yeah. Okay, I can buy that they're cocky and they're just like, why not? We can, so we will. Fine. Is, is it for fun, though? Didn't they need to... I, I was to I would do that clear. dragon stuff to... <laughs> they're able to easily destroy dragons basically mm. I but didn't... I think there are some key things that if I really think harder on it then I'm like okay fine I can like I can buy why they did what they did um there was one part I don't remember who said it but was like these Naruk they're basically like so bred to be just fighters and they're they don't really have their own individual thought they're just doing what they were bred to do like fine i Aren't still they like uh termites too didn't they establish that they're like stupid when they're by themselves but like the more of them yes. they are the more they yeah have yes they're, yeah. they're a hive mind Numbers. where every little bit is an, an another node added basically some more computing power and the the lizards in the desert also add to that but that's that begs the kind of question of, okay, is there a higher, you know, knowledgeable being who is actually telling them what to do? No. So that used to be like the matrons and they, they were right. keeping the Naruka slaves. Um, the Naruk essentially, they're just like this one collective and all of them are at the same level. Okay. Quote unquote, as, as everyone else. And so they're just like, they're the supreme embodiment of the collective, uh, the collectivist ideals. So the the Imas were the first, well, like in, in the series, they were the first iteration of that, and we discovered like, oh, the Imas actually have a lot of individ individuality and whatever. The Naruka are actually the pure expression of this. They are one hundred percent just a, like a living mass, essentially. And um, if you remember, they had a supply train of wagons stacked with meat. So they might have yeah. thought they could just add the bone hunters uh, to their uh, food bank too. Oh yeah, they were they were eating them after the battle as well. We uh, we established this in chapter twenty four. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's just like <laughs> you know that's why I say if I really pick at it, then I'm like fine. I can see why it happened, but the initial reaction was just like why? God damn it! <laughs> why? yeah but that's part yeah. of it too it's about futility right um yeah but, i mean um i get it with you know the story at the beginning of the chapter like i i see it it's just still frustrating yeah um and it's also explained by this other tiny quote that i pulled just like the molasses to find the ugliest foes the whole damn world had to offer and the scariest <laughs> um oh i did their... have another yeah, I did have another thought, though. So my thought was that, okay, maybe this encounter isn't as accidental, like wrong place, wrong time kind of thing, um, as it seems. 
because there was the whole thing about Ikarium's Warrens. And I mean, with Warrens, like my understanding is like blood was needed to create these Warrens and maybe it needed more blood um, and the Marines and their death actually provided that. And that's why Ikarium was able to do what he did, like be as powerful. But I don't Didn't know. Didn't he? That... I thought he used Erastus's eye to meet that requirement. Well, he did, but um, I don't know. There was something I can't remember exactly. There was a line about blood and Warrens that made me think. But also, did Tavor really know what was going to happen? It seemed like she was taken no, by surprise. Totally no, she yeah, was she so like, focused on her end goal. Yeah, okay. and then like, yeah, her army gets nuked out of nowhere. She's like, "What? What's going on?" Um. Presumably, she ordered the retreat, though. I have very few notes, uh, but I'll read them. Caneb, uh, no. Sunrise, no. Pearl, hail the Marines. Quickbin, yes. Quickbin, no. <laughs> and then finally, oh, Gaul, no. And then uh, I ain't Tishrin and this ain't Pale. And then this ain't Pale and you ain't Tishrin. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Sad, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a very succinct summary of uh, the major highlights of the battle in mm-hmm. this chapter. You know, this battle reminded me of hmm. uh, Transformers, early yeah. World War One. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, right, wow. Take another shot. Yeah, I know. Yeah, take a shot. Take a shot. Take a shot. There's a better scene for this in uh, The God Is Not Willing, but um, I see. Yeah, it's just like just these people that don't. Like the the lethality is so high and they haven't adjusted to it. There is a literal cal- cavalry charge that gets absolutely annihilated by these high tech weapons. Oh my goodness, um, the Kudral Burn Tears. Yeah. I I okay, this chapter and chapter twenty four, I had such strong reactions. I just had to give you guys my live reactions as mm-hmm. I was reading it. And that part was I mean, I haven't cried uh reading Malazan, like full on cried or anything. That was very painful. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, even though the Naruk are like this like force from the past, it actually like brought um, there was a kind of like metaphor for the 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 Naruk uh, artillery with the development of like artillery technology amongst humans, like where you have uh like the future of warfare is mm. like what the naruk are doing right. mm-hmm. the naruk had like the drones be the nodes for the for the artillery rather than like specialized cadres of mages be, the lumpy you know, ones like, which like kind of de- like it's kind of like analogous to like firearms as opposed to like longbows you know Mm. Uh, in terms of like the artillery being able to go to like being able to be like more easily used by laymen essentially like and like the horror that comes out of the ease of use of ranged weaponry by less and less uh training required um less and less specialization uh more mass produced like so even though they're like it, in this case, it's the back. It's backwards because this ancient race coming back that has this. It kind of has that analogy going on. And also, the the fact that these bodies are getting blown into more pieces, basically like 
Kenab just gets vaporized, essentially. Right. And just, like, little bits of Kenab are flying everywhere. And the you also get these... descriptions of Ugh. this whole thing is... Horrifying. And, yeah. And the way that Erickson does the descriptions is very effective and very easy to just imagine what mm -hmm. that looks like. So it's very cinematic. And, yeah, I can see why he... Well, maybe part of why he said that he wouldn't want animation for it. He would want like a live action adaptation for Malazan. In this case, I can see why it would be more impactful. I so I I would agree with him here if I hadn't seen Attack on Titan, oh, okay. which does scenes like this like all the time, and they're incredibly well done. But um. Yeah, and I, I love how he gives you these little moments of triumph throughout the chapter so it doesn't yeah. just, like, feel, oh, we're doomed. Like, like Quick Ben has this, like, the moment yes. where he, like, sets an entire lead. He sets the air on fire. That's yes. a really cool line. And Ruthan Good is, he has his cool bits. And Bottle has his cool bits. He takes over the little Wival and And the, the bridge burners have their cool bits. Mm. And the heavies have their cool bits. Everyone gets, like, a chance to be awesome. And it's all basically futile <laughs> like they they still get steamrolled by this this army um although yeah. it does seem like some getaway and they did take a lot more than the Nuruk probably thought would, would happen but um yeah like he gives you these moments of hope so he can crush you further uh the next page i guess it's really well or done. lifts you up so that you know you don't just throw the book down and walk yeah. away yeah, yeah absolutely who you um, speaking of Ruth and Good, okay, the reason why I thought he was Hood, when he was riding out alone towards the Naruk, there was all this ice happening around him. So the Storm Riders are, um, uh, it's special. Kind of ice-based magic. Yeah, <laughs> it's before this that this is established, but it's not in the Book of the Fallen, but like in publication order, it's before this. They have ice-based magic, uh, and it's I think hinted that the Jag Hut like brought them to this world potentially while using Antos Felak and like that like the height of their uh incursions against the Talanimas. Gotcha. With like the when they made like the big the big ice stuff happen. Okay. The Storm Riders are alien. Yeah, um, they're like this alien. There's a lot of alien in yeah. this. Yes, but Lots, like yeah. um like storm riders are kind of like this in, like this separate entity separate class of entities it seems like like they're they're really not of this world the okay. yeah. um not in not quite in the from space way that the crippled god is an alien but like yeah. another reality of some kind another like, way this is like breaking my brain a bit but they're like, okay yeah they're almost lovecraftian sort of it's just like they're kind of incomprehensible oh, okay. to us when well, you put it that way i get it I get it. Better. That's only because, it, to quote Steven Erickson, uh, <laughs> that that the the story of the of the Stormriders is a treasure trove, a, a, a vault, if you will, and he's gonna hold on to the key for a little while. Like longer. that bastard! Like so, uh, I want. <laughs> there will be so more cool. Give me more. Riders, but I think the reason why Esselmont held back on them so much is because Erickson's going to be the one to write that story, and he's not ready to do it yet. Um, 
Do we have any other thoughts on this chapter before we move on? Excellent. Chapter 24. The Chamal and Akarian put an end to the Naruk threat. Hood meets up with some old co-workers. Uh, Arrestus is also like, let's end the world now as well. Nice to see Arrestus' eye going to good use. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Finally, some part of him is doing some good. He's such a douche. <laughs> He's the worst. <laughs> it really, it, it never stops. Uh, um, he sucks in Karkanis too. Ashley oh. mentioned Akarium's entry, which was fantastic. Um, and just really written really well. Uh, but I think my favorite part of the chapter was the end with Hood and just Bent and Roach showing up. Mm. It's like, Bent and Roach, thank Benson you. I missed that. Oh, yeah, Where sure, them too. Roach show up? They brought but, Sin and Grub to the well, fight. Yeah, yeah, when, uh, when the gate closed to, uh, and he made the Azath, uh, like Sin and Grub and Bent and Roach came back from their journey through the uh, Ikarium's Warrens. Well, where, they, they came before the gate was sealed. Right, right. To, to where? the battle. To the battle. Oh, to where Gessel and Stormy were. Oh, yeah. I totally missed that somehow. Yeah, no, they, they destroyed like five Sky Keeps themselves. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ben I, Roach, five Sky totally, Keeps. Totally missed that. Yeah. Ben Roach a, destroyed five Sky Keeps. Pretty big so. moments. Wait, is Another... it Ben and Roach that destroyed them or is it Sin and Grub? No, no, it's Sin and Grub. Yeah. yeah. No, Ben, ben and Roach like didn't. Oh my do anything. god, you guys. Sin and Grub were borrowing Ben and Roach's power. Okay. Oh. No, no, no. Ben and Roach were borrowing Namander's power. <laughs> it just okay. gets so distilled. Yeah. Just like um, you know, he's Namander's the anime protagonist. Like I am lending 025 percent of my strength <laughs> to these dogs across the continents. Um. So I really liked Hood showing up and the Jack Hunt army uh, being there to meet him. Yeah. And it was funny. It was it really was funny. funny. Not as funny as I think as they think it is, I don't think. But yeah, was... they think everything's <laughs> funny. That's part of why it's so funny. In the in the previous episode, I think it was Ash who was like annoyed about all the laughing from these yep. Jack Hunt warriors. And I was like, oh, no, it totally fit in this part. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Just I agree shut with up, you. you dummies yeah just for once just stop stop adding noise to the conversation isn't the reason why they think everything's funny that they've like been dead so long and now they're back and they're just like everything's so absurd like i, I, I kind of get it they're not allowed to laugh because ash hates them but, yeah okay absolutely that i mass didn't go far enough then okay <laughs> you know what we haven't dead. talked about what do you want we haven't talked about Tool. Yes, let's Poor talk about guy. Tool. Yeah, we got to talk about Tool. Okay, he kills the last of the Bargast. Instead, okay, instead of helping out the Bone Hunters, by the way, the Amas yes. could have definitely turned he the tide. He chose there. vengeance mm -hmm. over, and not only that, but his vengeance makes no fucking sense whatsoever. He takes revenge on the guys that like didn't. It does that, make like sense. tried to that like tried to actually uphold his memory and like tried to take yeah. his lessons to heart and like not the guys that actually like Draconis killed all the guys that were actually responsible for anything. He was happened. so angry though. Like Tool was like, so I get angry. It. I get it too. <laughs> and Cause... he he killed the people who didn't stop mm -hmm. the hobbling of Hatan. Okay, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But they tried to do something. Yeah. Like, but he would this. be yawn forgiving at this point. I mean, Which is I such think, a I think that Tool knew. The thing is, though, that Tool knew 
when he let himself be killed, the way that was all going to go down. And, like, he let himself be killed so that fewer people would be killed in the crossfire. So he, like, undoes his own sacrifice almost by carrying out this vengeance. And it's all Olar Ethel's fault for making talk turn against him. Olar yeah. Ethel's the worst. Yeah. She's, she's not the worst. Sucks. She's so just bad. she's, she's a misguided. She's a misguided mommy. That's she's like she one step below. Mommy or mummy? Both. Horan didn't oh, hit her hard yeah. enough. <laughs> yes, that's true too. Uh, Hiran, are you advocating elder abuse? That sounds like. <laughs> oh dear. Elder god abuse, maybe. <laughs> um, I I think my last bits of notes are really just um, I really enjoy the stormy Gessler parts. Um, so fun. and and their interactions with the could change them all, yeah. That, that was um, and how like like the, I really also like how like their insanity is like is like as humans and how you have to like as a commander like project this like false sense of like we're gonna succeed even if you're doomed. But the thing is that they won at the end, mm -hmm. and like without that insanity, you couldn't have wins like that. You have to be that kind of crazy to even yeah. have the chance to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat in that way. Like yeah, they definitely didn't have a chance if not for several miracles, though. That is true. <laughs> several completely is, like, unforeseeable miracles. Sure, but how many battles have gone that way? I mean, yeah. there's a reason why there are two Karama cards in the Dune deck. You know, uh, okay. Karama is. Karama is the Arabic word for miracle, uh, but uh, there, there's literally cards in Dune that say miracle on them and they can do like 20 different things. And sometimes it works out. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like how often does that actually factor into battles of like, oh, if we didn't, if it hadn't have been for this thing, we could have never known was happening. If it hadn't been for Akarium. If Harold yes. Godwinson hadn't taken arrow through the eye. <laughs> The English uh, English wouldn't be French now. Yeah, yeah there's That's a lot a of domino effects. Lore for you. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Should we get but to listener cool questions? Um, uh, first, uh, how cool is the Ampelus uprooted? Was that an awesome? <laughs> was that so? Yes. Was that so cool? And Cal's rooted and at least one hundred cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> at least cool. 100 cool. Um also I uh shout out to uh Gurul, the Shigal yeah. assassin. He's pretty cool. I, I feel kind of bad how he just gets taken out like nothing. Um, but apparently still alive. Is he? Yeah, at the end he's alive. Yeah, at the okay. end the matron said that hey, we're going to go with you to colonize and uh list out the different hmm. um ones that are still alive. And there we go. We uh, the they they hope that the new can and one day learn to forgive them before they come back and right. uh, try to scour the continent clean again. And there's some more hope put in here for the um, for the Jamal to do better. That was really interesting um, about you know how the their matron like they were saying she went insane and everything. And normally a matron would only like birth a hundred or mm -hmm. however many hundred of the Vagath soldiers. But this one was at 15,000, 15,000. 15, yeah. Yeah. Cause she was trying to break the cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so literally like sacrificing herself to do this. 
And I think that kind of echoes a bit of Rake and Amanda Rake, like in her mm-hmm. death, in her sacrifice, she Absolutely. like enabled this to happen. And then apparently Soul Kit is now also a matron. Yep. There are now two Chamel matrons mm-hmm. for first time in a very long time, let's say. Um, and then Aruka aren't going to be able to build any more sky keeps. That's very sad for them. Yeah, but, that sucks. Uh, thing, uh, yes, let's go to listener questions. Okie dokie. Um, Sun Gamer says, Hail the Marines. Hail yep. the Marines. Ab- what, yep. what do you think of Stormy and Gessler being Mortal Sword and Shield Anvil of a Chain Chamal? Is it impactful that these mortal roles are being fulfilled by beings we know to be on their way to ascension? I feel like they're pretty much ascended at this point, right? They're stubbornly clinging to being not ascended. (laughs) (laughs) By all rights, they should have ascended by now, though. But I think, like, because of their, I guess, I don't know, powers, um, they are able to be the Mortal Sword and Shield Anvil for the Kachin Chamal because they can withstand what that means. Because, like, you know, uh, Ekovian was a shield anvil for people and that sheer well and for the mass i guess like it killed him right and stormy i think had to be a bit more supercharged to be shield anvil for could change them all a bit annealed yeah yeah any any more thoughts on that i think you're i think you're about right yeah how do you feel about sin at the end of this book I didn't even notice her. Oh. <laughs> I like didn't Monsters. know. I literally I, didn't know she was there. She got really upset that her brother died. Mm. Uh, anyone noticed? Uh, she still, she, her defense mechanism is to be lashed out of the world and make herself powerful so that it can't hurt her. I just hurt her again. Yeah. She was yeah. a little callous towards uh, Kenneb's death too. Yeah. 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 But it, I think it is a coping mechanism. I don't think yeah. she could take any more. One hundred thousand percent is a coping mechanism. She's made of coping mechanisms. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, because the first the first person to come to her after the tragedy that that happened to her in Seven Cities was Kalam, who was just Aww. himself a, a a walking coping mechanism. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, next question is: Is Quick Ben really dead? Do you think? No. What? what are you talking about? He he got vaporized no. by that. Nope. 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 Nope, I refuse. Okay. Uh, how much of what has happened is part of Tavor's plan? Um, maybe eighty percent. I think probably everything except for the the Naruk, really. Mm-hmm. And also uh, the other Kachang, because I I doubt she saw uh, Stormy and Gessler coming. You know, Shield Anvil and yeah, and and you know as much as uh. As it didn't really affect things, or at least not yet, uh, he probably didn't foresee Draconis popping up out of nowhere. Oh, no one did. Or the yeah. alliance of the elder gods coming to coming for the for the young. She probably knew he was coming, he, just not coming in that style. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you think? You think she knew I th- that, I think, that was gonna? Happen? I think she knew it was going down in Jurgen. Really? Yeah. How? Uh... We can't uh, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> TBD. Okay. Okay. Um, Ublala and Draconis's relationship. What do you think about it? I love it. Fun. 
can't wait yep. to see more. I'm making a heart with my hands. <laughs> uh, Jingles90 says, some of this I think is still uncertain given what is published, but what do you make of Ruth and Good? They're an interesting standout character to me. I think we covered this already. Yeah, we got it. Red Armian, Red Armian says, which characters were you hoping would show up in Dust of Dreams but didn't? Which did you not expect or consider showing up who surprised you? I guess with the new characters, it's like the queen and the daughter. That was a nice surprise. You know, honestly, when people told me that, wait till you get to Dust of Dreams when we get Jamal uh, viewpoint characters, I think it was Huron. I literally thought he was putting me on. Like, I was just like, no, oh, <laughs> that's not real. They're all dead. I remember that. Well, no, not because they were all dead, but I was just like, Erickson wouldn't go with something that out of left field. Like, Except no that Jamal. he also gives us Ox POV. You know, maybe Ox that was POV. setting the stage. That's who I was missing this book. Ox I, I'm going to start telling new readers, just wait till you get to the Ox POV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, the, the ones are like uh, when people are chiming in on the, the forums, you're like, oh, Malazan doesn't get good until X. It doesn't get good until the Ox POV. Oh my god. You just gotta give it eight books. <laughs> uh, I wish Kalan was in this book. I miss him. Yeah. yeah. And I did expect I, was to, him. I did expect Ganuas Paran. Oh, he really wasn't in this one, was he? He, yeah, he, he was wasn't. mentioned. Yeah, they they threatened that he might be there. Wow. And when are you, when are you planning to start reading the Crippled God? Is it is it tonight? <laughs> um, I th I do think I need a little break. Um, there, there's a, quite a bit of emotions I'm still processing, mm -hmm. but maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent, good. That's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of a cliffhanger, even though there is like a fairly satisfying ending. Yeah, yeah. My hot take is I would be fine with this as the conclusion of the series. Oh my god, <laughs> <It> was... no. <laughs> it was no. All right. So my answer, yeah. I gave Kalam. My answer for unexpected, uh, Talamandis. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, I thought that um, he was with Quickfin the whole time until right. he showed up here. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting to fall in love with Tanakalian. Get out of hey. here. Oh my god, get out of here. Crucify him. <laughs> um, okay, our last question from a new listener friend uh, called I Throw Things. This is a big question, and I don't think we're going to be able to really address it, but I think it's good for us to think about it and talk about it at, you know, as we discuss Cripple God, maybe at the end. Steven Erickson is an incredible storyteller. In what areas do you feel he excels in comparison to other popular epic fantasy authors such as Jordan, Sanderson, Martin, etc.? And do you think he perhaps feels short in any category? Why or how? Anybody want to say anything? I think uh, Steve writes Pillow Friends uh, notably worse than Jordan does. Pillow I want more time to think about this, and I would <laughs> be more willing to talk about it next book. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a really good question, and it's something just, that we've kind of discussed in bits and pieces, um, but not as holistically. It is a really good question. Um, the most glaring thing is probably not the best answer to this question, but I think his biggest strength and weakness is in comparison to Jordan and Sanderson, particularly, is he doesn't hold the reader's hand. Yeah. And But I... 
I think it's both his biggest strength. And right. Weakness. I like, I mean, I, when my friend was making fun of me for liking these books, uh, I tried to get my best friend to read these books and, and, and he, he like went off on me about how much he hates these books just from like, no. the, from uh, the first book and how he like will always hate these books. Uh, and we'll we'll not get into them. And one of the as we were like having our discussion about it, uh, I mentioned like how like you know really once you get to like chapter five of the first book is like when it gets funny and more cinematic and blah blah blah. And he's like, and I and I said that that it's kind of like hard before that to like get into and uh, some I I forget what I said, but I said something about it where he went, oh, just what I want in a book, Christian, is a book that I can fail at reading or something like that. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like he just like eviscerated me. And he, he like, uh, oh my gosh. It, it, it was very funny actually. Uh, but it was like really awkward. We were both in the car and he like blew <laughs> up about, he was just like, these books suck. They're boring. And he just like went off. He's like, normally you have good taste, but these are terrible. And that was one of the things he said is like, just what I want in the books. Oh, to be able to fail at reading it. And I was just oh like, my oh gosh. my God, that is the most brutal uh, thing anybody's ever said about Malaz to me. Ever. You should recommend um, Book of the New Sun. <laughs> um, I think that something that Steve does incredibly well is he's able to mix up his styles. Mm. Um, you, you don't see it as much in, in if you just read the Book of the Fallen, but like, Kark is, is a complete departure. And... Uh, the God is not willing is is a is a fantastic evolution of his of his style in the Book of the Fallen, I think. And yeah, the the Bakalin Corporal Brooch novella is uh, famously very funny. And he, he's able to just mix up uh, basically as much as he wants. And it's it's usually incredibly effective. I think that's something that he um, probably a bad habit is he likes to have characters ruminate. Yeah. Um, he, I think, I think he could stand to let actions speak for themselves a bit more. I agree. Um, and, and like, I do like a lot of the ruminations. I think that it could just be like scaled back like a, a degree or two and just let the readers ruminate on, on the consequences and the implications of things themselves a bit more. I definitely agree with that. A lot of point. And it's, it's definitely for a short story writer, for somebody who's, cut his teeth on short stories this is one long ass short story <laughs> it sure is you want to take us out oh first I, I think i think i think we owe it to one of our listeners lucid truth who's just wanting to shout out a message to his future self good job of making it this far yeah proud of you he's currently on memory just about to you start memory device <laughs> Uh, so so good luck lucid truth uh, if you hear this congrats yeah give us a shout out as well on the discord if uh, that's still around by the time you get uh, <laughs> get here all right that concludes this episode if you want to join the read-along and or contribute listener questions check us out in the legendarium's discord you can find the link on the legendarium.com also follow us at on twitter at green team pop for updates and fun times check out the legendarium podcast for wheel of time cosmere lord of the rings content and so much more thank you for our panelists ashman janeth as a boy and buffalo panda i am here in fan until next time bye bye, bye.